Welcome to the Swamplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm Hannah Rassinen. And I'm James Cohn. And we are recording on Brittany's birthday. Oh my God. Happy yes. birthday, Happy Brittany. Birthday. Thank you. And we're in James and Hannah's apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. Yay. We have new equipment. Yay. Upgrade. This is <laughs> truly the best day ever. <laughs> We've been spending more time and money um, on equipment as like listening uh, numbers don't really go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is entirely for us. Right. Could people be listening and the data not just be pulled in? <laughs> I think it's the opposite. I think some of these listens are bots. Oh, no. <laughs> I think this is more for Brandon, though. Oh, it yeah. It will make editing a lot easier. So much easier. But I like to think that some of the bots really like the podcast. <laughs> the bots like us. <laughs> They're like, yeah. oh, that was a good point. I mean, they communicate with each other. Yeah. We have a few confirmed listeners. We have Mr. Hot Dog Boy. We have Brittany's mom. <laughs> and then recently, Matt Farley has reached out on a couple episode topics. That is so um, cool. God, he never, ever disappoints. So if nothing else, we are like entertaining one of the greatest songwriters and filmmakers of our lifetime. And he just dropped a new movie unannounced yesterday. Oh, online. my God. What? It's called Heard She Got Married. And you can <laughs> rent it on video- Vimeo. From what I can tell from his email blast last night, it is a psychological thriller and it looks like it's some kind of like spiritual sequel to Local Legends, which is my favorite Matt Farley movie. So, you know, we're entertaining like some top tier of the moment filmmakers oh right now. We're part of a movement. <laughs> <laughs> he reached out uh, when we did The Devil Master slash The Demon Lover. Yes. Because he's a big fan and he has a song about the movie. No, I would never have guessed that. No. I love that. I love the surprises that come out of like Matt Farley's pocket. <laughs> and he also uh, contacted us to say good job on the Citizen Kane episode, even though the audio quality was awful. Uh, oh, but no. he also has like a Orson Welles um, appreciation in general, too. Is this great song called Peter Bogdanovich won't stop talking about Orson Welles. It's one of my favorite things he's ever recorded. Um, so anyway, Matt's out there. <laughs> Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. Do y'all have any movie recommendations for Matt Farley or Mr. Hot Dog Boy today? I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't quite know. Highly what. specific. Yeah. I know. Like, I was like, I have a few right. things to talk about, what? but I don't know if they're good yeah, enough I don't know for if they, him. And especially the one I was going to talk about, like, I don't think that they would like it, <laughs> but maybe they would. I don't know. I caught on Amazon. It's called A Map of Tiny Perfect Places. It's this, like, young adult time loop movie that came out this year i had the day off from work and i randomly threw it on and i fell in love with it it's so cute and so touching you know it immediately kind of draws attention to like yes this is like groundhog's day i'm living the same day and this teenage uh guy realizes that this girl is also stuck in the time loop so they're like the only two people in the loop together. And so what they decide to do is they go around finding all the beautiful little moments that happen and they basically make a map of it so that they can go around and experience like the perfect day. And then he falls for her and she kind of rejects him for reasons that come clear later, Mm. but it's totally not like my kind of thing. Normally this young adult, this is like The Fault in Our Stars, right. Paper yeah. Towns. Oh, yeah. yeah it's totally, totally in that. It's a John Green. It's not actually John Green. But, but it is John essentially, Green. Essentially, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. It was like really clever. And I thought it was like a smart 
script and the leads were really, really good. And it made me cry at the end. Oh my it has God. Yeah. I mean, wow. it's like the map of the tiny, perfect, perfect moments. places. It was, it's really good. If you're at all into that sort of thing, or if you're not, it doesn't matter. I, I thought it was one of the better things I've seen this it's year. It's a powerful review. Check it out. I don't know. Like, there's something about time loop movies that, like, make me super anxious when I watch them. Because then I, I start to get in that, like, black hole of thinking. And I'm like, what is life? <laughs> what is death? The time loop. But that actually sounds like a, a sweet time loop movie like i did like that one that came out on hulu with palm and springs palm springs yeah. i yeah. thought that was kind of sweet mm-hmm. so it made it night like easier to watch yeah and this doesn't really go into as much of the existential dread part of it it's more like <laughs> hey it would be kind of cool to like experience the same day and you could pick up on all the little moments that happen in your small town these beautiful moments that you might pass up mm-hmm. without forgetting about without it. forgetting you could like memory. always go back to them but then maybe there's something in letting that go and moving on to the next day and mm. so i liked it i thought it was really good wow and then um there were two movies that brandon had recommended that i watched uh one was shadow in the cloud uh the movie's which bonkers was fucking awesome <laughs> it was super great I agree with everything you said about it. It was a really fun time. It goes there with the gremlins and her baby and over the top wackiness. That's the one where Chloe Grace Moretz is a fighter pilot mm-hmm. in World War II. And uh, it starts off like a radio play and then turns into a monster movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I really dug that. And then I also watched the uh, Mitchells versus a machine, which mm-hmm. I thought was Awesome too. Very so funny. good. One of the best like modern animated things I've seen. So those were two good recommendations from Brandon. What about you, Brittany? What have you been watching? <laughs> um, yeah, I've been I've watched a couple of things. I'm catching up on some twenty twenty one movies. Kind of the theme of the episode. <sighs> yeah, kind yeah. of. Really. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of on a roll with that right now. But I finally got around to watching uh Willie's Wonderland, which uh-huh. James recommended and we Did you like it? I really, really liked it. Yeah. yeah. Um, at first, I was kind of like, oh, like, I'm not a huge, huge fan of movies where, like, the main character is silent the whole time. There's no dialogue. But, oh, my God, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Like, just Nicolas Cage and his silence with his just intense stares and, like, spurts of, like, Mandy violence mm-hmm. was so good. And I found, like, the these like animatronic characters in Willie's Wonderland to be like pretty creepy. Um, I was actually fun story. I went to this dirty ass flea market in Mobile and I spent like five bucks on a bunch of like old crusty McDonald's toys from like the <laughs> early nineties. And I was like cleaning them um, and scrubbing them to like get all the crust out while Willie's Wonderland was playing. Oh. And it was just like a, a very memorable moment that I don't think I'll ever like shake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was really good. It's it's action-packed, but it's not just about that. Like, it has, like, that perfect recipe of, like, ridiculousness and, like, just over-the-top insanity with, like, actual good action sequences, tasteful violence, and a fun, like, satanic background. Mm. And I loved it. I thought it was really cool. 
I have an interesting detail about this movie as well. Oh my god! What? I just posted a review of, of it yesterday, and I drew Artie the Alligator, which is a character mm-hmm. from the Chuck E. Cheese knockoff in the film, um, to Instagram, and got a suspicious number of likes for it, which for us means like more than two. And uh, <laughs> I was looking at the accounts that were liking this alligator doodle that I did for the review, and um, a lot of them were like furry accounts or like oh, accounts no. of like. <laughs> Um, bring them in you know anime <laughs> avatars and I was like alright I'm starting to see an appeal to this right. uh, Nicholas Cage we have Cage to cater to, oh, yeah. can we cater to that audience to get right. some more oh. views I'm fine with that we should we find out like what movies. is the furry canon of like what yeah. movies do furries love right. furry films this is exclusively a furry podcast from now on <laughs> I wonder I'm trying to think of what would be the flurry or furry canon it would be Maybe the giant purple people eater movie. <laughs> or, that was that Brigsby Bear. Brigsby Bear. Brigsby Bear. Yeah. Um, oh, My yeah. buddy from Memphis actually made one called Ruckus. That's like this hybrid documentary, sort of docu fiction piece about this real life fursona character. That um, it's really weird. It's called Ruckus, and you can watch that online. Uh, but like furries love that movie because it's mm. like not mocking them, but it's about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure is kind of a rare treat. I don't know. There's got to be more there. We should find the furry cannon. Yes. I'm ready for <laughs> Explore. it. I wonder ready if I could contact. A, I had a friend in high school that came out as a furry. I wonder what he's up to. If he would want to come on the pot. Yeah. And I would I, die. I'm into it. I would die of joy. Yeah. No, he like sat us down in a group. It was very serious and. Pulled out his tail. Like, oh, Okay. Yeah, cool. I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've like known like a full on like head to toe furry, but I'm, I've known a few that would like put the the tail mm-hmm. tail uh, on, and the butt plug tail. Yeah, of course. Too. Now that appeals to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so creative. Yeah, but kind of on the subject of furries, the other movie that I watched that I absolutely loved was Raya and the Last Dragon. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It reminded me of furries a lot because, like, the animation is so freaking, like, gorgeous and amazing. And the dragons are just covered in fur. And there are scenes where there's, like, close-ups of, like, the characters, like, embracing the dragons. And the fur, it just looks so realistic. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. But I freaking loved this movie. And I didn't think I was going to, like, be as into it. I got Disney Plus for a month to watch some episodes of Gargoyles. And I'm like, whatever, <laughs> I'll just like see what else is on here. And at first, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, um, it was one of those things like it's on Disney Plus, but you have to like pay like $30 to see it or whatever. Same as Cruella. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to see that. I want to see that um, Luca movie too, about the Mermaid oh, Boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's got to pay for it right now. Um, but anyway, so uh, Raya was got to the point where it's like part of the Disney Plus package with like no extra cost. So I watched it with my dog, Anuk, <laughs> and it was so good. So it's just like Southeast Asian fantasy, and it takes place in this land called Kumandra, and there's five tribes throughout this like land, and they live amongst dragons. And there are these like evil spirits that start to roam the lands, and they start turning everyone into stone. So one of the last dragons takes their like power and or soul or some some kind of magical powerful soul thing and puts it into this stone and it protects all the humans and it releases them like everyone who was turned into stone like it kind of saves the humans um but the dragons are still stone so they're not really saved 
And this dragon, like, gem protects all the humans from these, like, evil spirits that were turning them into stone. And Raya, her dad is, like, the head of the tribe that she belongs to. And they hold this, like, dragon gem. And there's, like, this disconnect between all the five tribes. And her dad's like, no, we all need to come together. You know, Disney stuff. And he, like, hosts this, like, dinner. And, like, the food in this movie looks so good because it's, like, they're, like, you know, chopping up, like, Thai chilies and throwing them in, like, soups and stuff. It's just, like, fun to watch. And, well, anyway, they all come over for this, like, big dinner. And Raya befriends um, a girl from another tribe. And the girl ends up tricking her to show her where, like, the gym is because everybody wants it. And then everyone starts to go after it. It breaks. They each take a little piece of it and those evil spirits come back and turns like a crap ton of people into stone, including Raya's dad. And then the film shifts to like six years after that happens. And Raya is just like on this journey to find each piece of the stone to put it together so she can like save um, humanity. And she summons um, a dragon, the last dragon, um, Sisu who's voiced by Aquafina. I love her. She's mm-hmm. great. Um, and they basically go on a quest to like get all the pieces. It's kind of like a, gives you like a cool video game feel. Like they have to like go to each land um, that each, you know, of the five tribes like is in charge of and find these dragon stone pieces and put it back together. And it's really good. It's a sweet, sweet story. And I thought it was just really beautifully made and well-crafted. Oh, that's lovely. It's good. Yeah. um, I did read like some criticism about it because the voice actors were pretty much all East Asian, like Aquafina, she's East um, Asian, and they didn't have like a lot of Southeast Asian uh, character voices. So that's like a, the big criticism about that, which I get and it totally sucks. Um, But it is a, a good movie. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not as big into like the Disney animation stuff, but I need to like branch out and watch more. of it. I feel it. like you would like this. Yeah. Like if you don't like the di- the the Disney like the basic Disney movies, I think this kind of goes beyond that. Like there's no I I like this movie and like where Disney's kind of going with these types of films because there's no like weird like sappy romance or. Kids don't care about romance. Come yeah, on. kids don't care about it. <laughs> um, and a lot of it is just like more, a little more progressive, a little more. But yeah, that's pretty much like what I've been watching. Um, so yeah, what about you, Hannah? So I haven't been watching any new movies, but I have been watching like either movies from my past that I never finished or like old movies that I used to really not. I mean, old as in I was a child when I saw them um, that I kind of am rewatching. So uh, there are two movies that I've always wanted to see that are like old standards. So Philadelphia um, with Tom Hanks and uh, Denzel Washington and Gattaca. Uh, so Gattaca, oh. we <laughs> I saw 20 minutes of Gattaca in my AP bio class in high school. Me too. It was, we watched okay. that in biology. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like the most biological movie you know oh dna we're gonna watch gattaca but it's so long that you know you don't finish the movie so i've always wanted to re-watch it and i just love that the, like the whole movie is just ethan hawk he just wants to go to space and i'm just like let the man <laughs> go to space that's all he wants and people keep trying to thwart him because of his genes and 
I so I really liked the movie, but it did have this kind of like Ayn Randian feel underneath. So I was like, I was conflicted with the, you know, it's um, kind of the human will against science, but it's also, you know, determination and, uh, you know, not allowing people to circumscribe you. So I, f- I felt like there were just mixes of ideology that, I don't know, made it uh, interesting. Um, so I watched Philadelphia, which I loved. I think that was one of the first mainstream movies about AIDS that kind of tackled AIDS in a real way. And that made me um, think of Rent, which <laughs> I watched over and over again, which um, has been, I loved that musical. And I think I have memorized pretty much all of the songs, but it has this like to- really, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's flippant or not, but it feels like kind of a flippant attitude towards the AIDS crisis. It's like everybody kind of has AIDS and it's used as an emotional like manipulator, like the only person that dies of AIDS in the movie is Angel, who's the trans character. Um, so it's just, um, it's a really kind of complicated movie that I just thought, I just thought it was a fun musical when I was a kid. Um, and then was, oh, and then The Mummy. I <laughs> rewatched oh. The Mummy, which... A lot of classics. Yeah, and I realized, like, again, as a child, I thought The Mummy was so scary, and the special effects were amazing, and rewatching it's like not great but brendan fraser for me can just carry any movie oh. like i just don't care what's going on if brendan fraser's in the movie i love it so the charisma right the body yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm so glad you like mentioned brendan fraser too and the mummy because like he's such a good actor like i yeah. can't think of a movie that he was terrible in yeah at all and recently like i think he was at some kind of event and like this image of him he's just being like body shamed like out the wazoo right now and i'm like give this guy a break and you're like look at his hair and i'm like he's not like george of the jungle age anymore like yeah he's probably gonna lose his hair and like gain some weight like everyone does he's also gonna play a uh morbidly obese 300 pound man in a darren aronofsky movie soon what uh so oh my god how that's gonna go My God. It's going to be another mother situation where people are going to be pissed at it and we'll probably all like it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Another swampy fave. Mm. It's such a shame what kind of happened with his career because, like, he was big in, like, Mm. the 90s with George of the Jungle, Blast from the Past, The Mummy. Like, he was on a roll. And from what I've read, a producer or someone, like, very powerful in hollywood sexually assaulted him at a party and he like called him out on it and then got blacklisted oh my god for years and he like struggled with that i think he also hurt himself in a stunt or something and it's like yeah he has really bad like back pain so he just had like a really rough i think he might have went through a divorce and some other but anyway like really rough few years and it's good to see him kind of coming back into mm-hmm. the conversation because he is a really good actor and yeah. he does have that charisma even if it's 300 pounds and right well yeah. aronofsky like i would <laughs> yeah. lo- i want to see it's that. gonna be yeah. provocative so uh probably gonna we, cross we a do, few lines we but, have to support him <laughs> yeah yes. at all costs. we're rooting for him for yeah sure. yeah <laughs> I, I stand him anyway so that's what i've been watching i i, I did watch um the mitchells and the machines which was just so delightful and a couple of the movies uh, James mentioned. But Brandon, what have you been watching? Well, it's funny you mentioned this list that I sent out. <laughs> Brandon, I want to tell you something. So I took off two days from work 
And I worked through that list you sent out. And I think I've watched every movie. That's insane. On that list. <laughs> it's like 30 something movies. Well, so, you know, some of them I had seen. You had already seen, yeah. But I probably watch a good three quarters of that and list. And you enjoyed about three of them from what I'm hearing at the top <laughs> yeah. of this. Okay, yeah. No, to very, very <laughs> degrees. Right. Yeah. There were some I thought were like, okay. Yeah. Only really a couple that really kind of blew me away. But it was still a good list to kind of catch up on so, what's been coming out. Basically, what I did was I went through everything we've mentioned on the show since January. That's like a new release. And then I went through James and Hannah's letterbox, which is very convenient for me. <laughs> um, and like a few of those that we hadn't mentioned on the show were on there as well. And I just found all of them that were available to watch right now and just sent out a list, like no editorial, mm-hmm. no editorializing, just like this is what's available to watch because kind of the vibe I got asking around last couple episodes, it was like, I don't even know what came out this year. Mm-hmm. I'm not that excited about 2021 movies. And I could see come December us having like my top three of the year <laughs> movies right. I saw. So I'm going to filibuster a little bit right now. Nice. What I did was I pared down the list even more. I'm just going to read off what is available to watch without a subscription. Well, with subscription, without a like rental fee. Like mm-hmm. what you could watch for subscription for quote unquote free mm-hmm. if you're already on like Hulu or Netflix or whatever. So as quickly as I can. The Amusement Park, which is a George Romero movie that oh was God. lost since the 70s and really enjoyed it. Released for the first time this year. It's like a surreal carnival dementia narrative about how elderly people are abused in America. And it's on shutter right now. Uh, Beast Beast, which is a teen melodrama about gun violence. That sounds really boring, but it, I found it incredibly tense. I mm-hmm. I thought that the performances are what carried it. Like I actually thought the young like teen actors were extremely good. And even though you kind of know where the story's going from the very first shot, very first scene, you know, it still carries. I agree with you to a point. You know where the story's going, and then there's 15 minutes after that point where things get really weird. And it's, like, all about the internet and, like, using public perception on the internet true, to, like, true. fix wrongs. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's an interesting movie, and it's on Tubi as their, yeah. like, first festival acquisition, which is very odd. Yeah. Uh, it is weird to watch a movie on Tubi, and there's, like, five commercial right. breaks, <laughs> and yeah. you're in the middle of, like, a gun violence right teen drama and it's like especially that movie like something awful happens and then it's like ah do you want a hyundai (laughs) i do love like how the tubi commercials kind of keep it local too where like a lot of commercials they play are like things that you would see like during the daytime watching like mari and stuff like a lot of these like (laughs) lawyer commercials yeah so yeah i love that (laughs) it's fun when watching like horror trash like castle freak i don't know if i like it for my like you know, artsy fartsy festival acquisitions. So <laughs> kind of a weird format. The Block Island Sound, which Boomer recommended. Oh. It's on Netflix. I have not seen it. It looks like a Lovecraftian. It is. Uh, supernatural thriller set in like a fishing community. Yeah, I totally, I yeah. really like that movie. It was good? Yeah, I liked I it. Really good. It sort of lost me at the very end, but it it's worth the watch for sure. Deadly Illusions, which is also on Netflix, like the Block Island Sound, which Brittany recommended as a lifetime-style psychosexual thriller about a housewife and her nanny. Is this is this accurate? Yes, her nanny. But yeah, and her nanny who like never watches her child because she's too busy hanging out with her. <laughs> Sounds racy. <laughs> it's very racy. <laughs> on HBO Max, The Human Voice, which is a 30-minute Pedro Almodovar, Almodovar movie. I'm still working out that. <laughs> pronunciation every time 
Tilda Swinton wears beautiful clothes uh. on a fake set and does a one-woman play. It's you fantastic. You love to see it. On Netflix, I Care A Lot, which is a black comedy starring Rosamund Pike in this sort of like post-Gone Girl, like I'm a bad person, but you kind of love me. Uh, and then yeah. I get worse and you kind of have to like hate me. Um, <laughs> on HBO Max, Boomer enjoyed the Justice League, the Snyder Cut, which is a five-hour superhero Jeez. epic. Oh no my God. Way. No. Made me feel miserable. <laughs> Not doing it. But Wait, you watched the whole thing? I did, all in one sitting. Oh my God. You oh son Lord. of a bitch. Well, they were like, this is a movie. And I'm like, no, this is a miniseries. But if I'm going to treat it like a movie, I'm going to sit down and watch it. <laughs> and by the end, I was like, God, that was like watching a TV show in one day. It was t- difficult. Wow. Not good. Boomer loved it, though. <laughs> the Little Things also recently returned to HBO Max. Brittany liked it. It looked like a 90s cop thriller throwback. And you said the highlight was Jared Leto being absolutely fucking disgusting. Just super gross. Oh, and grimy. No. Yeah. Uh, I really liked Lucky on Shudder, which we did a whole episode on this show about um it is a supernatural slasher it's not exactly a time loop movie but it's got a repeating pattern um that's absurdist and pretty blatant about its feminist themes but Mm -hmm. i thought was one of the more like daringly on the surface films to come out this year did not care for it (laughs) great movie (laughs) (laughs) i'd love to hear a rebuttal to the conversation we had about it um so everyone kind of was on board. Yeah, with- it was me, Boomer, and Alan. We, we enjoyed it. We actually found there wasn't really much to decipher or talk about because so much of it is right. on the surface. But it is an angry film. And it is a, um, I don't know, just I, I liked how upfront it was about what it was doing. And its metaphors rang true, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's like a very on-the-nose metaphor. And I think that's kind of why I didn't. Yeah. There was that. no like real subtlety or ambiguity going on. Fair enough. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Madame or Madame, I'm not sure of the pronunciation because I do not speak French. Uh, <laughs> it is a very personal documentary about this French filmmaker's relationship with his grandmother who passed away. And he talks about how because he was closeted to her, he couldn't really be him full, his full self in front of her. And the more he thinks about it, he's like, wait, she couldn't do that with her family because of sexist bullshit when mm-hmm. she was a kid. And he starts to like link homophobia with sexism as like, ugly sisters of each other Mm. and it's just got beautiful footage of the french countryside in the 60s and 70s and then Mm. gay liberation footage from the 80s and 90s um on like home video and it's all mixed together in this really poetic way that one you can watch for free by signing up for a streaming service called deku d-e-k-k-o-o never heard of that before in my life but it seems like they only stream gay content um according to just watch it's also on the roku channel probably with ads like on tubi I, i didn't check that out Master, which is on Amazon Prime, it is a three-hour Tamil-language Indian action epic. You know I love those. (laughs) This one is a throwback to 90s thrillers like Dangerous Minds, where, like, Michelle... Pfeiffer goes back to like a uh, you know urban school full of like troublesome youths. Uh, in this case, the guy who is corrupting all these youths punches children to death. <laughs> must be taught a lesson in between all the song and dance numbers. Uh, great stuff. Uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines already mentioned on Netflix. A great family movie with a kind of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse like psychedelic animation style to it. Uh, a little more adventurous visually than most Pixar movies, I think. Nomadland on Hulu won Best uh. Picture Oscar, so you probably already know what it is. Brittany and James enjoyed it. I'm guessing Hannah did as well. I, I did not see it, actually. I didn't like it. So that's a full gamut right there. <laughs> <laughs> the Power on Shudder. It is a British horror film. It's under 90 minutes. 
uh, first time female director about this young nurse who um, has a troublesome relationship with sexuality. This is sounding a lot like St. Maud, uh, but <laughs> yeah. the, the more yeah. you watch it, it becomes this sort of like ghost story set in like a hospital with power outages. Mm-hmm. It's very creepy and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, surface details make it sound like St. Maud, but it's its own thing. Yeah. Uh, Psycho Goreman, which is on Shudder. I did not enjoy this, but I think James and Hannah did. Yeah. Loved it. I Loved thought it. it was very fun. It's like R-rated Power Rangers. Yeah. It has great gore effects and great creature designs. Yeah, the the special effects were great. I thought mm-hmm. it was consistently funny. Yeah. I don't I just had a good time. Yeah. What what was it that you didn't care about? It's got this like humor to it that underlines how funny the premise is that I don't enjoy. Like it like hangs on a little too long to like point out how goofy the monsters look or like the dad in particular has this sort of like mocking the premise humor to him and he's like mean to his wife and that's supposed to be funny. I don't know. If I was 11 years old, this would be my favorite movie in the world. <laughs> the humor just didn't land for me. Man, I, Maybe I need to watch it with other people. I just, that moment where he's, he has that man locked in like infinite insanity and they like knock him over and he explodes into blood and he's like, ah, no, my masterpiece. <laughs> just like I got, that got a belly laugh out of me. It was great. So the humor might work for other people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just really liked the blood and guts. Oh, the uh, blood and guts were beautiful. The Queen of Black Magic, also on Shudder. It is an Ooh. Indonesian remake of a 80s Indonesian horror film. It's fucking weird as hell uh, by Joko Anwar. Ooh. He did the writing. I might make y'all watch that for an episode later. I want to watch. It's on my list to watch, yeah. too. So. We might do a whole Indonesian Joko Anwar Ooh. horror Ooh, I would love that. Yeah. Also on Shudder, we have Slacks, which is a horror comedy about killer blue jeans. I, w- I watched that one. I did not like that. I didn't care for it Okay, either. good. <laughs> Allie did, though. Allie said it was like one of the better movies she's seen so far this year. I mean, I got a few chuckles out of it, but like, ultimately, after seeing like In Fabric right. and Deerskin, it's just like such a step below those films that uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I can't rate it very highly, but I was working while he was watching it. But this, the, the shots that I got, I like wanted it to be in fabric, basically. But I think it, I, I feel like it was a very promising idea. Yeah, it's also got the psycho Gorman problem for me, where it's like constantly underlining how funny it is that pants yeah. are killing people. Yeah, uh, where what I liked about Willie's Wonderland is it didn't really do that. Like it was just right. like it just kind of played it straight. Yeah, until the wisecracking teens come in (laughs) shadow in the cloud which we already mentioned it's on hulu and hoopla it is the first good chloe grace moretz movie and i will stick to my guns (laughs) on that one uh you can watch her kick a gremlin's ass um and it defies every law of physics and common sense and logic there's that scene where she bounces off (laughs) of the explosion (laughs) and goes back into the plane i was like i just accepted it yeah yeah a lot of fun um, Some Kind of Heaven, which is on Hulu. It is a surreal kind of like Instagram photography uh, portrait of this retirement community in Florida that just looks like a different plane of reality. I mean, there are very real problems and very real people inside of that like Disney World mm-hmm. retirement community. I do think that forever single guy is oh one of the most God. tragic figures of yep. 2021. He will never be happy. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really great looking movie and um, it doesn't really like push for drama where it doesn't need to. Like yeah. the, people are just kind of interesting by default mm-hmm. and the movie like has this like formalist portraiture 
um, around. I, their I lives. really like that one. Yeah, it re- remind me of like a Lauren Green documentary yeah. or something like Greenfield. that kind of. Yeah, yeah, Greenfield. Yeah, it has that like kind of like posed portrait, but it's in the person's space where they're living, and right. so highlighting the absurdism of their right. environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought about her a lot too. Yeah, Space Sweepers, which is on Netflix, it is a sort of like live action version of Cowboy Bebop. It's this like Ooh. Korean sci-fi action thriller, kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy, but mm-hmm. like cheaper. Oh. Uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah. It's got the world's cutest kid in it, and they are also a bomb, which is a really <laughs> fun premise. Things Heard and Seen on Netflix, which I have neither seen nor heard much about. Uh, it <laughs> was recommended by Boomer. Uh, it stars Amanda Seyfried. I think it's got a bad reputation, but he said it was kind of fun as like a, you know, trashy oh, psychological like thriller ghost, ghost story story yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're talking about. also the woman in the window on netflix which uh britney enjoyed as a trashy <laughs> uh lifetime it. style homage to rear window which i think it wears on its sleeve also controversial even among us i think james hated it i hated it <laughs> <laughs> actively hated it i'm interested but it looks fun it's, it's so yeah so good <laughs> and then finally mentioned several times already, Willy's Wonderland, which is apparently a modern furry classic, <laughs> from what I understand, and uh, a, a great Nick Cage stunt film. Um, and also stars Beth Grant as a small town sheriff. Where oh you my find God, a I know. Like that. I screamed whenever she showed up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's me filibustering. I'm done. That's pretty good, right? That's yeah. quick. That's yeah. pretty quick. Okay. Oh, that was fun. We should <laughs> yeah. do like a whole episode of you doing that and us just being like, yeah, I saw that. It was oh, good. yeah, that was pretty so, good. Saw it, yeah. I yeah. didn't like it. Didn't care for it. <laughs> I do. I want to make one comment about the amusement park, which is that that was, a, so that was a PSA for Elder. And I just love the idea of like this. I don't know who commissioned it, but these people commissioning this from George Romero. And then he's like, okay, well, I have the film for you. And then he shows it because, and it was never shown. They're like. Sure. No, this is so horrifying. <laughs> this is- I think it was like a Lutheran church in Pennsylvania right. that like, uh-huh. funded it, and they were like, "We are never releasing this way too far, sir." Uh, That's another one, like um, Lucky, where like its themes mm-hmm. and like what it's doing are very on the surface, and it has like a very matter of fact surrealism, just like Lucky. But I think like some of the images were so striking in the amusement park, just like these close-up shots of like old people's faces from you know, the seventies and you know, they're all dead. And it's just like, it's sad. It's really sad with lucky. There are a lot of great images in that movie too. I will not take that away from that film. (laughs) I absolutely, the final image when the killer is revealed made me cringe. So I hated it. I like it. I think it's a great cheap way of like exploring. It is cheap. Yeah. I mean, the the movie was made on a budget. I don't know. (laughs) No, I mean cheap. Like it's, (laughs) <laughs> not like like, like philosophically cheap right yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough that's how i felt but okay i did all that because we are catching up with the best of the year stuff and i've saved four titles that we all picked <laughs> and we're going to talk about more at length uh not rapid fire like this and i will maybe at the end of the episode wrap up where you can watch those as well but if you're listening to us talk about them you probably should have seen them already <laughs> <laughs> all that's coming up to you right, right now. now you want to hear a funny story So, uh, five years ago, I quit performing live comedy because I was beginning to have uh, severe panic attacks while on stage, which is not a great place to have them. So I, I quit, and I didn't perform for five years, I spent that time trying to improve myself mentally. You know what? I did. 
so much better, in fact, that in January of 2020, I thought, you know what, I should start performing again. I've been hiding from the world and I need to re-enter. And then, the funniest thing happened. So, uh, we're talking about movies that came out this year, which is great because I don't have to try to remember what year the movie I'm talking about came out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, my pick for this episode was Inside, which is a kind of hybrid comedy performance special by Bo Burnham, who has not done any uh, stand-up comedy in about five years. He, he took a break from it because he was having some mental health issues. He was having panic attacks on stage. In that time, he produced um, a lot of stand-up specials for other comedians. He directed uh, Eighth Grade. He acted in um, Promising Young Woman. Um, so this is kind of his reintroduction into his own craft with his own performance. I watched Bo Burnham a lot when I was a teenager. All of the teenage boys that I was friends with loved Bo Burnham. Um, he, at that time, was pretty well known for making like really inappropriate comedy that was witty and rhymed. That was like his whole thing. Um, so I was interested to see how his performance will have changed in since the past five years. Uh, he recorded this himself. He directed the entire special. It was all done in one room in his house uh, during COVID-19. And it has a loose narrative structure um, with kind of like skits and songs, but basically it's following his uh, degrading mental health during lockdown and kind of connecting the physical isolation during quarantine with um, emotional isolation, uh, the isolation that comes from creating a constant performance of your identity um, and of yourself. So I really enjoyed this film thing. Yeah, maybe we should talk about what it is. Right. Like, like how do you classify something like this? Yeah. It's not a stand-up special, No, obviously. But that's what it calls itself. It feels like a big music video in a way, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, like girl walk all day. I kind of felt like that when I was like watching lemonade it. Lemonade or dirty mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I thought of it as kind of like a almost like a documentary. Yeah. I mean, it is like music part music video, but it felt very real and like raw. A video diary. I, yeah. I, and I wouldn't call mm-hmm. it a comedy special because like it was funny. A lot of the songs are funny, but it had a real like depth to it. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a hard one to classify. Yeah. And I think one thing is that he, I don't think he has ever really been a traditional stand-up comedian anyway. Even in his earlier shows, it was always this kind of performance. It was a series of songs, and then there were skits kind of intermixed between. So I think the one of the biggest differences between Inside and some of his other specials is that there, I, I think there's much less irony and the songs are more serious i think the content is very different it kind of seemed like content was the word he settled on where he was like right 
I don't know what I'm making really. Right. Uh, I will make something by the time this is over. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, he says, here comes the content. Right. Daddy I, made you some content. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something I found kind of remarkable about it and how, there, I mean, there's been a few movies that have tried to talk about the COVID era. And, what mm-hmm. it, and this, to me, captured a feeling better than anything else I've seen as far as like, I don't, we're coming out of the pandemic and yet I still have not even really processed what that experience was Yeah, for the past year. And it seems like he in like real time is trying to figure out what the hell is even going on and how he feels about it. And we're kind of watching him process those feelings. So it's like really raw. So I, I don't know. Like I thought it took some courage on his part. How would you define the feeling he settles on? Kind of the loneliness and despair, maybe a little bit hopeful towards the end. Some suicidal ideation. Yeah, for sure. He just does like a really good job of like, like he said, like capturing that moment. And when I was watching this, I'm like, this just like really brought me back to like how I felt like summer of last year, mm-hmm. for sure. How you're so sad and depressed that it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, oh, my life oh, it's sucks. Like absurd. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, yeah. what is this situation? I caught, my, I, mean. I caught myself having those moments, like, you know, whenever we were in like full panty mode, where I was just sitting there and I'm like, God, this blows. This yeah. is so weird. And I would like turn on a lava lamp and just like laugh by myself in the dark. <laughs> and, like, you know, where you feel like I'm losing my mind yeah. and this, this sucks, but I guess I can have fun if I do this thing. And I kind of felt like those moments where he would, you know, put his like, laser lights on and just like have this like performance well and that's something that really we need to touch on is the technical aspects of this film because it's amazing what he pulled Mm -hmm. off i mean i know he had like a big budget or you know he had access to whatever cameras and lights he needed he keeps getting more and more amazon packages that pile up so there's more and more gear everywhere as (laughs) he goes on but like some of the the shots of like just I don't know. He does so much with that one room, just the way it's lit. And it's like, you know, he has that song where he's like FaceTiming with his mom and it's shot in this like vertical, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. he's creative every step of the way with like how he presents the special. And like, I don't know. I thought that was really inspiring. Like You can do a lot in one room with some good camera equipment and some, lighting and sound you and know. creativity too like and creativity yeah yeah i thought that was pretty wild like they were after he would do like one segment i'm like oh that was really cool and the next one would be even cooler and i just loved how like you just i didn't really know what to expect i mean i knew he was going to be by himself in the room the whole time yeah. but like what other kind of flashy things you know like the I loved like where he like projected all those like pumpkins oh, yeah. on his body <laughs> and oh the um the sexting bit oh yeah where oh, in the background great. there's like right. all the emojis and st- it's just so good yeah and then there's that text wall where it's like you know I really don't want you know you, you to feel pressured or anything it's like perfectly <laughs> yes. like this huge just captures the anxiety of like wanting to hook up on text but like not, but not know like, how right you're not getting like the yes. visual signals and you want it to be cool for everyone. Yeah, I I thought he was really great at sculpting the the one room into different sets just with the lights. I mean, especially in that um, the white woman's Instagram song, I kept forgetting that he wasn't out in different places. Yeah, that one had really cool effects. Yeah, 
compared to well i mean they were all good but yeah that one more than the others yeah but then so i've seen a lot of articles talk about you know his productivity during quarantine and like oh well i was just sitting in my house bo burnham was making a comedy special and that like totally feeds into the exact feeling that he's talking about like this need to constantly be productive and like oh you're like this person made this great piece of art and what were you doing you were just like do it you know and like Mm -hmm. devaluing human experience when he created that piece of art out of this need to perform and this need for validation and and kind of like criticizing the direction that has like forced people to do that there are a lot of things about the sort of online reaction to this that have like really just soured me on like being online at all right now. Yeah. Just way too many opinions like announced way too fiercely, which is funny because the movie itself is like, can anybody just shut up for right. five fucking can minutes? Can any one person <laughs> shut the fuck up about anything? And there is like a fiercely negative instant response to this that is like so dug in among, especially on Twitter which, you know, is sort of like promotes negativity in general. Like, right. it, like it's really easy to get attention What's for being like negative. What's the negativity towards this? Like, well, I don't, just I like didn't really look it up. Really. Rich guy who like had all these amenities and is pretending that he's like had it as bad as everyone else. It's not something I agree with. Um, obviously, anybody can be suicidally depressed. And right. Yeah. How much money you have. It is a chemical problem with your he's brain. He's making entertainment for us, too. That's yeah. Really, and a lot of the complaints, too, are just like, oh, he's like pretending that his life is more uncomfortable than it is. And it's like, well, the movie is a. I don't know. It, it's pretty obvious that it's like a metaphor, this room. It's yeah. not like he's actually stuck in a small right. space by himself. Yeah. And that's something that I think that he does so well that I, I can't really think of any other like actor or comedian that can kind of do what he does. Like he knows he's like this like wealthy, like cis white guy. But I think he pats himself on the back for acknowledging that a little too much in this. <laughs> yeah. That gets <laughs> a little but, cringy. But, he, but he, he does it in like a funny way where. But there's like a meta element where he is like making fun of the fact that he is patting himself on the like back for being woke. Right. Like there's yeah. layers to it where I, you know, it's hard to criticize. That's where I'm getting into like the fact that people have such a strong solidified initial reaction to this. Yeah. Just didn't ring true to how I watched it. Where, like, at first, I did not enjoy myself. I want to say the first 20, 30 minutes of Mm -hmm. this. There were a couple songs that I really liked, but I was watching a stand up comedy special where I didn't think the jokes were very funny. Mm -hmm. And then it starts getting deeper, like, than that. Like, it starts layering its commentary on itself. Yeah. And then by the time the movie ends, it's not stand up at all. It's like video art, it's like weird Laurie Anderson projections. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. And like looped tape warps. He even uses Laurie Anderson's like vocal pitch in mm-hmm. my favorite song in the movie. That last song is an absolute banger. The um Get Your Fucking Hands Up. Get song. your fucking oh, hands up. Like, that's a fucking banger. I agree. That's song, my favorite dude. song in the whole film, and it's not mm-hmm. funny, really. No, no yeah. not at all. Does he like progressively get sweatier throughout the movie too? <laughs> like I was like, Am I imagining this? But I'm like, he, he just like just got more sweaty and more just like filthy. That song where he's turning 30, he uh, is just wearing like the sweatiest pair of boxers and like nothing yeah. else. It's just like a <laughs> pile of ooze. And yeah, that's when you start to resonate with his version of like pandemic brain. Like yeah. early on, there were four sketches in a row where I was like, that was pretty mediocre sketch comedy for me. Mm-hmm. And 
Then it hits. I mean, I should probably name what I'm talking about. Uh, the Socko sketch, the FaceTime oh, with yeah. my mom sketch, the brand um, awareness oh, yeah. sketch. And I honestly do not like the white woman Instagram song. And we mm-hmm. can get into that more if you want to. But like then he does the YouTube reaction video right. where he does a sketch that's not that's, very funny. That yeah. was very clever. And then he the thing loops again, so he's watching his own reaction video. And then it loops a third or fourth time. And each layer, yeah. he's digging further and further into his limitations as an artist and like his limitations as a person. Well, I think it's also it's like such a part of the social media personality where it's like yeah, you have reaction videos of you watching something happen, but you're, I don't, it's like very self-possessed, the mm-hmm. the media landscape we live in, and it's like terrifying, right? too, and like it really captured that. Yeah, I also think it perfectly captured just the general feeling of social anxiety, too. Mm-hmm. It's like you say something, and then you're, you think about, like you do something to compensate for the thing that you did, and then you, it's like this layering and layering of like just turning your mind into this ball of mush and you just have to kind of like shut it yeah, off which is what is he like does turning in on it on yeah itself. The, just this constant and i do feel like he probably has that internal monologue going in his head all the time like this thing i made what does that mean what does it mean that this is what i think about the thing i made and just how exhausting it is to have to process your content constantly and that's where the movie like really wins me over is like yeah. the uh sort of like metatextual reflections on where our minds are right now, just Mm -hmm. how fucking fake everything is. And I'll get a little more into like how fake everything is later (laughs) in another movie we're talking about. But like, it's just the songs that really stand out for me are welcome to the internet. Oh my God. Which I think is pretty universally like cited as like the best song from Mm -hmm. this. And then the all eyes on me song, which we already referenced Mm -hmm. and that funny feeling. Oh yeah. Which all those are like observational just about how the world has already ended. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We're like in the aftermath of a cataclysmic event right now. And the idea of like trying to be funny while everything is this fucked up, that resonates more there than it does in the opening song where it's like, should I be funny right now? But but I think that's, that arc is exactly what, a lot of people experienced during the pandemic where it first started. It was kind of like, Oh, this is all right. Like, I guess I get to stay at home and like working from home is cool. And mm-hmm. you know, I love just staying inside and watching movies and then, Oh, I can work on my art project or whatever. And then four or five months later, like, Oh fuck. Like I really want to like <laughs> right. see some people. Yeah. I want to do something. You start spiraling. Yeah. And then like six months later, you're like, is this shit over? Like I'm, at my wits end mm-hmm. and the the arc of the the special kind of follows that as well yeah. in the beginning it's just kind of hypothetical fun and games and then it goes off the deep end towards the end and I, I don't know i feel like that is the way a lot of people experience the pandemic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even drops the like comedy voice I, I think he has this like uh it's somewhere between Weird Al and like they might be giants. It's like this sort of nasally. <laughs> it's like a childlike, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit of Disney Prince in there too. There's like a little like musical theater, like oh, theatricality totally. yeah. in his voice. Um, and I don't understand YouTube celebrity at all. So like that version of like comedy just sort of goes over my head. Yeah, 
And I feel like by the end, it's not even present anymore. Like he's just sort of like, I don't know, just dropped all pretense of trying to be funny. Right. And the observations of like the signifiers of this apocalypse <laughs> uh, all ring true. Like I really feel something authentic in this by the end. And I, I don't know that I've had this complicated of a reaction to something I've watched this year where like at first I was really not on board. It was just like, what do I, what is this? What do I do with this? Yeah. Uh, and then by the end, you know, I was like, I got to watch that again to like <laughs> understand how I felt about it. And then the second time knowing what I was getting into and like the arc of it, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm. I also love having a piece of shit anthem. Like I, <laughs> that song where it's like, wake up at 1130, feeling like a bag of shit. I, <laughs> I sent that to my sister one morning and she was like, Hannah, are you okay? <laughs> What's going on? One of his whole things is that you're performing authenticity. Like it's impossible for him to be authentic. And that's another criticism I was seeing. Like, oh, he's, you know, not that he's pretending to have mental illness, but he's like making it into a melodrama. But there's no real way. It's very hard to communicate that authentically. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a performance, it can be authentic. But I did feel like this kind of captured mental illness and and gave it some kind of context that you could hold on to and like see your own experience um and it's just the first time that i've seen something so powerful in that way in a long time mm-hmm. does anybody have any favorite jokes from this <laughs> I, I, not to bring it back like so harshly oh my god <laughs> i know i'm like oh god what a, re- what a reflection i don't I, do, I don't really think about the specific jokes. That's weird, right? To be honest, yeah, yeah, that's weird for a quote-unquote comedy special. Yeah. yeah. Um, to me, I don't know where this is going to stand at, like, you know, looking back on it over the years, but, like, it does feel like a pretty important statement on the COVID mm-hmm. era and yeah. in a way that I haven't seen from any other film. Like, what other film has really gotten to the heart of what it felt like to live during are living through this pandemic without like making a horror movie. Right. Yeah. Or making like something that. like host yeah. is pretty good pandemic art. I think. Right. And that it is the conversation a lot, but it's not like this where it's, this taps into the, this feeling. is getting yeah. something, something really deep and like yeah. powerful. And I think that will stand the test of time. Yeah. So like, I'm glad that he like used his platform to make something cool like this. I mean, what does everybody want him to do? Just like kill himself and not make art or like, Sounds I don't about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Twitter does have like a bullying pile on mob mentality. Yeah. And I like perusing it to find new movies, but like the longer I stay there, the worse I feel. Oh, it's it's yeah. draining. <laughs> like a lot of social media is kind of like getting to that point too, which I'm kind of like, I don't do the whole YouTube thing. Like I just watch YouTube for like old, like 80s music videos mm. and, you know, weird commercials I forgot about. But like the YouTube stardom. I think is kind of interesting, which come, which is his background and mm-hmm. like the bullying and the, the fact that he's on been there. on YouTube since he was like in high school. Yeah. Yeah. He's been on YouTube for like 17. 15 years. And if you watch the shit he was making when he was a teen, it is harsh. It is yeah. like, it's bad. I just remember it that is, like rap song where he's like, that song is in the toilet. so offensive. Oh yeah. 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 That's all I remember. But he knows that and he's like reckoning with that. Yeah. Like, you know, he still makes mistakes though. I think that that white woman Instagram song bothers me. And in, in that, like, mm-hmm. okay, he is acknowledging his like shortcomings. Like I'm a white privileged cis gendered man. And then he makes this song, which 
fair enough. The target is white cisgendered women, but what he's doing is like mocking the kinds of things that we already talked about a few years ago with like bath bombs and like pumpkin spice, like just let fucking people, you know, comfort themselves. Okay. So the one thing I, I kind of agree with you, but there is, there is that moment in that song where it's talking about like somebody's authentic post, like a post about their mom who passed away and then the aspect ratio changes. So it's, Mm. so to me, like I agreed with you, 75% 75% through the skit and but I felt like it was kind of like people are like curate their posts in these particular ways because that's the way that you do it but behind that people are still people and they have moments of genuine expression it's just like really hard to portray yourself in a way that isn't aesthetically targeted on a social media platform and but I think that 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 was kind of an afterthought of the song but I he also got shit for like that song where he talks about how he dressed up as Aladdin. You know, he talked about he's got skeleton in his closet. He did bad things in the past, and the mm-hmm. only thing you can come up with is like the Aladdin thing. And like I've read some articles where people were giving him shit about that, but like it's like they didn't pay attention to the song because at the end he literally is like on the cross, <laughs> saying like he's making fun of the fact that people in an effort to be woke or like, yeah, you know, I, I did some fucked up shit when I was in high school and it's like some minor thing, like dressing up like Aladdin. Cause you want those like social points. It's like, they totally missed mm-hmm. the point of the song. Yeah. He doesn't go as far as to play the I'm Boyo rap, which right. um, has some one liners in it. that probably would get him canceled. Yeah. <laughs> it totally. came out now, but uh, he does project that rap onto the wall and stares at it. Like yeah, you yeah. Tell, like, oh, he regrets boy. every second of that video. Um, <laughs> and that's when the movie like really hits a third gear for me is like when it starts projecting different images onto stuff and he continues to do those reaction video things in real time, but right. it just gets more and more miserable watching it. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. It made me think about like too, like how horrible it would have been if I grew up with like internet on a phone. Oh God. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my God. I was such like a shithead. So, um, it just sucks for all these people cause it's captured and it's on the internet forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, and you can't escape it or delete it. it. Yeah. It was, he was one of the first celebrity. I mean, he's a couple years older than I am, but you know, he's a teenager when I was in middle school. So I've, and I've kind of paid attention to him in that entire span. And he has, cha- his outlook has changed so much in that time because he went from you know being a teenager to a 30 year old person super young when he started yeah he's not obviously not going to be the same person forever which is what we should be encouraging instead of being like oh you're a shithead forever like it should be right because you did this bad thing when you were in high school like he is a thoughtful person yeah i don't know which totally i really do think is like part of why this has improved for me since i watched it It it's just like Mm -hmm. watching a lot of the reactions to it unfold it's like just kind of re-emphasizing a lot of the themes of the movie and then yeah. i'll go back yeah, and exactly listen to a song and i'm like okay he like already knew what the reaction this was gonna be <laughs> like right. a step ahead which is interesting and i want to disengage from the internet more after watching this like i'm getting yeah. more out of being in a room with you three people than i i've gotten over like the last two weeks of talking online yes. which you know Good. i mean a pretty obvious observation probably but like i don't know i i really do th- feel like this is like hating me on a level that i was resistant to initially because yeah. i'm an internet age cynic it, um, <laughs> yeah like I, I 
I watched it after I had like this bizarre internet incident where um, I found there was like a pit bull that was like chained to the back of a truck in the heat. And I was like, what? And I pa- I was like, maybe it's temporary, but he was there like an entire day later and just it's panting, brutally hot right covered now, in flies and like literally sitting in his own piss because I saw it. Aww. And I'm like, I don't, I'm like, what do you do in this situation? So I found out that you can't call the SPCA anymore. You have to go through 911. No. They, re- they changed it. So I'm like, I hate doing that. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, do I let this dog like suffer? So I like post it on next door and I'm like, does any, can anyone like give me any guidance? Like, have y'all seen this before? What's the best way to go about this? And it blew up <gasps> and somebody oh. like screenshot my next door post and posted it on an animal rescue page. And then it had like 600 shares. Oh my God. And then the family got tagged. And then the family saw that like my name was in the screenshot <gasps> image. And they were like reaching out to me and they're like, people are coming to our house, like leaving oh guns at God. us. Oh and I'm like, oh what? my God. What? No. And I'm like, I just want y'all to get y'all dog out the sun. <laughs> and I was Jesus. like asking on like a neighborhood app, right. like what suggestions. Yeah. Were. You weren't like and blasting just, on Twitter. Right. And then I'm just like, that just shows you how like scary the internet is and i was like holy shit like it, wow. and it just exploded wow. within like a day you know and then i watched this show and i'm like oh <laughs> god <laughs> and he talks about it in that welcome to the internet song like <laughs> yes. there used to be a time when this was just like a few message boards right. and like people right, sharing right. niche hobbies and now it's like right and i still have that mentality when i get on the internet where i'm just like oh yeah a couple people are gonna be like hey cool yeah god i can i don't know just watching it's it, scary. imagining like being a high schooler in oh the God. social media mm-hmm. age is so terrifying yeah. to me. God, I do not want to experience like, that. I remember like I, whenever I hit like 18 and I came to my senses, kind of, I'm like, you have to delete MySpace now, <laughs> you know? And I think like that's as embarrassing as it got for me, but I was, I can easily delete that. But like now it's like people... You know, the screenshotting and the saving and the just like you can't let things of the past go mm-hmm. like you used to. It's not like you can just delete a page or like tear up a picture and it's done. It's just it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. I do think that Welcome to the Internet song just like perfectly encap- encapsulates the Internet fever dream, like the kind of linking together of the of totally of the banal and these like the most horrifying human impulses imaginable and it's just like all there in in, like each thing is one second away from the other thing that's like when i scroll through my youtube it's like you know (laughs) cooking videos pro wrestling videos police interrogation video i'm like (laughs) Because that's the kind of shit. I don't know. I like that. you watch like one yeah. video right. of something, and now it's like here's a hundred more right. of the same, and it's like, like so dystopian, and it's just fucking weird. Mm-hmm. The way you can shift mm-hmm. moods, like something. There's like no said, context. Yeah, so banal, and like whatever to something very serious and dark. Mm-hmm. Like here's a video about this psychopathic killer, and yeah, here's a video about the. Newest guitar from <laughs> and here's Fender. A like, yeah, these what? people like, threw a bag I? of cats like, in the river. <laughs> right, right. I think I mentioned that when we were talking about this last time. Was that that's what I really liked about Beast Beast as well? Mm-hmm. Was that it has three kids in it who all have online yeah. content producing like routines, and they're all presented equally in the same context. And like one of them goes to drum practice and does skateboarding videos, and the other one's like a theater kid and like mm-hmm. posts her like acting 
exercises. And the other one's really into shooting guns in the woods. Right. And like mm-hmm. those three things are mixed together as if they're all the same. And yeah. like, it's terrifying in that mixture. Well, what's so terrifying about that too, is how the kid with the guns, like kind of has this rise to fame from a certain incident that happens yeah. in the film. And that does happen. And mm-hmm. it's like absolutely terrifying. It encourages our worst behavior for attention, which is why I don't want this show to ever be listened to anyone ever. I kind of joke at the beginning about how few people listen. Do not share this. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Right. I know it's that thing where it's like, it'd be cool, but like, what if I said like one thing that would tick someone off and then they would amplify it? (laughs) I mean, that's like, they tell you like, never read the YouTube comments, but could you imagine we had hundreds of people listening? That's too much. And then we could like go through the comments like, oh, Brandon's such an asshole or like, James said this stupid thing or Brit like my God, that, that would just eat at me. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that I don't know if you're going to put yourself out there on social media, you have to deal with that. Right, it's true. Well, and I personally cannot take that. And so then I, the, I think the other thing about social media is if you have no engagement, if you do post things and nobody interacts with you, then that is also like yeah. demoralized. Like when I was, Oh, when I was in like middle school, I used to post videos of me dancing on YouTube. And I mean, they got like three or like videos of me feeding the ducks. And like nobody cares about those things. But I would see like three views and it would just like kill me. I would be so sad. But see, three views feels good. Same thing with the podcast. Like we get like five, six, (laughs) ten views. You don't want to get super famous. Yeah, that's enough. (laughs) I don't want like a thousand right. and then get a flood of comments <laughs> like your opinion of this movie was whack because And they have people ABC. who like literally dedicate themselves to like making like pages or accounts yeah. to like shit on a specific like creator right. and I'm like, oh oh god. Yeah. yeah. Very bad. I have a um Chalmette themed rap album that I recorded in a bathtub <laughs> about um, fifteen years ago. So me and Samantha are old co-worker like we sing that all the time till this day like it has a myspace page uh if someone like we can't find it in 2021 i'd be like god <laughs> leave it dead uh so it's got to be weird to be like a public figure and have right. all oh, the yeah. bullshit oh my god that you produced when you were a teenager like yeah like follow out there you. yeah wouldn't want his life would want his money I don't think I'm like that. No, yeah. I'm not like thick skinned enough to to handle that. I would like to pay off my student loans though. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he'll listen. (laughs) Be our fifth listener. Please pay for our student loans. Yeah. I just think this special was like the culmination of his, I think his songwriting is much better. Like is the songs are so catchy and the technical aspects are incredible. It really resonated with me i think it resonated with a lot of people so in summary i would highly recommend this special thing whatever it is the the long form performance it's whatever you want it to be yeah it's content (laughs) this content everything is content now and it's right there on netflix where all content goes to live forever (laughs) yes doing the splits from my heart going higher and higher my legs spread apart now i'm twirling like a baby ballerina who's digging a hole with the force of his feet watch me climbing I'm going up a palm tree like a cat up a palm tree who's decided to go up a palm tree. Seagull on the tire, can you hear my prayer? I keep trying, but I'm getting away. Heads 
picked a 2021 movie to watch this episode that we really liked, but really we bullied Brittany into picking her <laughs> movie because we were pretty sure she was going to like it. Hopefully it worked out. It did. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I love that too. How everyone, I'm like, what movie should I watch? I'm like, oh yeah, you would really love this one. You should do this one. And I, I trust y'all judgment. Sometimes people know me better than I really know myself. <laughs> um, but my forced, but in a good way, selection was uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. I loved this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, so I thought it was going to be like on par with like Bridesmaids, which I did like Bridesmaids. But at this point, I'm kind of like, it's a good movie, but it's not as timeless as like I assumed it was going to be. And like, I just like don't really find myself like rewatching it. And this is written by the same duo of comedians. Right. So, but it's so different. And I think that's why I love it. And I really think like that this is like one of those timeless classics of comedy. Like, <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's a, it is a comedy classic of like our day and age for sure. But it's also very like modern in the way that it like pushes the envelope with some of the humor, especially like some of like the sex stuff that they do. It's, it's like hilarious. And I'm like, Oh, you know, did they go there considering the audience they're trying to appeal to? And the vibrancy of this fucking movie <laughs> is everything. Like, I love, like, kitschy shit. The more gaudy and tacky something yeah. is, the better. And it's, like, literally this this film is, like, taking place in a hotel, like, with a fucking seashell bed. Like, this is, this is my jam. <laughs> um, plus, it's very funny, too. I don't, like, honestly, like, I'll go over, like, what the movie is, but... After I watched this, I'm like, I don't really think I cared about the plot that much. It, God, the it plot does not does matter. Not it did not matter, matter at all. Weird shit with mosquitoes. Like, I could just, like, <laughs> watch Barb and Star just improvise and go off, like, on a tangent for hours and be entertained. Like, that was fabulous. But basically, like, Barb and Star, well, we find out that Star is actually Starbra. <laughs> but Barb is just Barb, which I thought, I thought that was so funny. Um, so Barb and Star are like these two like very innocent, very pure Midwestern women. Ugh. They're doing the same voice and the same character. Like they're repeats of each other. Yeah. And I love it. Because <laughs> like you feel like you're like, this is a world that I should be in. Because like mm. it's like they have their own un they have their own universe that they like live yes. in together. And I just love that they found each other. But they live in like um soft <laughs> soft rock <laughs> Minnesota, which I find <laughs> that funny too. <laughs> And they work together at this, like, furniture store <laughs> that's going out of business. And, like, while they're kind of going through this, like, depression of, like, you know, what are we going to do? They decide to go to Vista Del Mar, Florida, after being inspired by, like, a, it was, like, a friend um, who, like, went to Vista Del Mar and is, like, selling it to them. And she says, like, something, like, you can wear, like, statement necklaces in the pool or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Um, but it's, like, basically a, like, a haven for, like, middle-aged women. They refer to it in two ways. They both go get their shimmer back. Yes. And also they go get a soul douche. <laughs> a soul douche, yeah. yes. <laughs> so while they're on their way to, or, you know, planning on going to, like, Vista Del Mar, Florida for, like, their first, like, big trip, they start to, like, talk, they, like, create this imaginary character named Trish. <laughs> 
and they're like oh like i love the name trish they're like oh my god that's my favorite name and it's like do you know anyone named trish and they start like going on a tangent like this is what trish yeah. is and Ooh, is what I love she, a trish. she does and they like build this like fantasy character and i do that all the time like I love that. Like just going off on a tangent and like using your imagination to build something. And we soon find out that it does come to life um, in the form of Reba. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Fancy herself. Sea spirit. They go to Vista Del Mar and there's this really, really good musical number at the hotel that they arrive to. And it's this fabulous, like tacky hotel. And then after this like big musical number is over, um, they realize that they're actually staying at like the same name, but the motel, um, <laughs> which I also thought was very funny because they have to go to this like ratchet ass motel. And the reason they couldn't stay at the hotel because they wanted to get a room there is because there is a seafood jam <laughs> and like shrimp where they crown contest. the shrimp queen, <laughs> which I'm like, I want to be a shrimp queen. I think I could be a shrimp queen. You are a shrimp queen. Yeah, you're Thanks. totally a shrimp queen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's a nice thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> um, in the meantime, like while they're in their like seafood jam, Vista Del Mar paradise, like living their best lives, there is like an evil villain who is also played by Kristen Wiig, which I didn't know until like later on. I was like, wow, the way she said that is very Kristen Wiggy, And I'm like, holy shit. They did that drag thing where they um, white out her eyebrows yeah. and like create a base layer of makeup but then they don't build a new face on right. that template so it's hard to like recognize right her. very features are erased. and the teeth Stark like they hair. give her like new teeth yeah right? yeah yeah that too like very good disguise um but it's i can't think of her name but she's just like this villain who her goal is to get revenge on the town of vista del mar because years ago when she was like she grew up there and she has a condition where she's like allergic to the sun and during the seafood jam, like she was bullied and they like bullied her into being crowned like shrimp queen. And then she was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> <laughs> and she like went into this pool. And one of my favorite lines from the villainess is where she's like, like a, like a ball of mozzarella. Floating <laughs> <laughs> in this pool. And so to get revenge on this town for what happened to her, she like plans to like unleash these I guess like poisonous mosquitoes that are like mm-hmm. going to kill everybody. And Barb and star get intertwined in this because the villainess has a boyfriend played by Jamie Dornan. They are not an official couple. Though. No, they're not official, <laughs> which is why he wants to please her. Cause if he <laughs> could please he her, then no, <laughs> after this would be an official couple, right? <laughs> so Barb and star like have one of those super cheesy, like fishbowl, beverages that you could probably only find in a place like Vista Del Mar, Florida. It reminds me of those like cheese ball fish bowls people get in the quarter. It's like a tiki drink. Yeah, they get super fucked up on it yeah. and then they end up like having a threesome with them. And I that was what I thought was so funny and it was like like comedy gold also pushing the envelope where they're like talking like oh no that's whenever you know he was hitting you whenever you were like against the table right okay (laughs) it just kept going and going and i love that like right where you're like oh they're just gonna like move in that direction a little bit and then stop but they just kept going i don't know what the word for it is but that's like a lot of the barb and star humor is the joke doesn't end like it's not like a quick like it's over with like there's they'll many, just there's like multiple tags right just keep going yeah. and going and going and it makes it funnier yeah. and funnier because you you never like leave the joke but yeah so then star starts to well both of them kind of 
become like in a way romantically involved with him. But Barb, I'm sorry, Star more so, who's Kristen Wiig's character. And while Star is like out, you know, having like this secret relationship with um, evil villain lady's man, Barb is like finding herself on this island. And I loved that. It was just so like awesome, like finding her just like she's exploring, like she's in drum circles, you know, she's scuba diving and just like, I found a lot of myself in Barb (laughs) because like, that's what I do. Like, I don't like experiencing things with other people a lot. I like doing a lot of stuff on my own. And I'm just like, yes, Barb. Yes, yes. You travel by yourself a good deal, right? Yes. Very Barb. (laughs) Um, Because it's good. It's just like nice. Like you don't have to worry about anything. And I'm like, would she have been able to do all that if she had Star with her? Probably not. Well, anyway, they become intertwined with the villainous and her evil plot to unleash all the... The mosquitoes at the Shrimp Queen crowning. But yeah, like like I said before, none of that really matters. Like, <laughs> you're just really focused. Like, there were times where I'm like, wait, what's happening again? There's like a bomb. Like, I don't get it. And I'm like, who, who cares? Like, they're funny. They're I think funny. this is like one of the best examples of a comedy where if you get it, if you're like on its wavelength, uh-huh. you're in for the ride. You know, and there's been other SNL movies like, well, like, I guess MacGruber is one I can mm-hmm. think of. It actually reminded me a lot of, like, 90s ones, like Wayne's World. Yeah. Um, yeah. Night at the Roxbury. Yeah, yeah. And then non-SNL ones, like Dude, Where's My Car? And Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Mm-hmm. We have these two absolute fucking weirdos who are on each other's wavelength. Mm-hmm. No one else in the world is on their wavelength except mm-hmm. the audience. And things just happen around them as they just sort of, like, cluelessly, happily go through right. their, like, yeah. sort of... I don't want to call them airheaded, but just sort of like oblivious lives. Um, and we love them for it. Well, and like you said, the plot plot does not matter no, right. at all. It's to me, like once I got on its wavelength, it's like, do the jokes land? And they do in this movie, especially yeah. like consistently yeah. funny. So every good. joke hits. And like, if you can get on that level, this is like one of the funniest movies. Yeah. I've seen a long time. Like if yeah. you can understand the idea of a joke about culottes, then like <laughs> right. you'll probably like this movie. This movie starts with a dictionary definition of what culottes are. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the title card. <laughs> Just oh. so you know what's coming. Oh, another like element that I really liked was um that I thought was so funny and I loved how they kept flashing back to it is this like it wasn't even like a book club. The talking club? <laughs> yes, with a uh, fortune. Femster, I love her. Vanessa Bayer. And Vanessa Bayer. Yeah. And Phyllis from The Office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like that whole crew was so funny. And Vanessa Bayer is so good at like being in character like that. Like she does really good impressions of some of my favorite housewives. Because, you know, Kristen Wiig and Vanessa Bayer are really big, like, Real Housewives fans. Not shocked. Um, <laughs> so they they guest star on a lot of, like, Real Housewives podcasts that I listen to. And they are so funny when they talk about them. Mm-hmm. But, like, I feel like that was, like, very, like, real like real Midwestern housewives. Yes. The uh, hot dog so soup gag oh, from God. those scenes. That's one of the gags where I was like, Brittany would love this movie. <laughs> Just the up close yes. shots of like gruel with cut up hot dogs in it. And then I'm like, I would eat it. <laughs> I would eat it. Like somebody sent me a video one time of someone making like a chilled hot dog pie where they just grind up like raw hot dogs and put it in the fridge. And I'm like, I would eat that in a heartbeat. And I just love people talking about gross food too. Oh, it's so yeah. good. Now, 
I'm not, you're big in the, not big in the SNL world, but like. <laughs> I've watched it my entire life. Yeah. Right. So it, was this a skit? No. At all? Like for some reason I'm like, was this a skit they just built off of? Because that's how like a lot of these movies came to fruition is like, it was an SNL skit of a duo that just became a film. They worked together like at the, what's called the Groundlings. Groundlings. So like this improv comedy, and it might have been a sketch from those days. But you, yeah. Yeah. you just get the sense, um, kind of like you said with Night at the Roxbury, like these two actors are so in tune with each other, and they're riffing off of right. each other, and it's just fun to watch them work. And I think what's like also pretty remarkable is like they're fully in these characters, mm-hmm. like they're character actors, but they're like so invested. Yeah, I, I don't know. I watch SNL sometimes, and yeah. even after like a three minute skit, you could tell like the actor is kind of not fully in the character anymore. And they like hold this hour and a half long movie together, and like I don't know, that's really a testament yeah. to them as actors yeah. Oh, yeah. too. And I felt like the whole movie was committed to itself. Like we mentioned Psycho Gorman earlier, and how mm-hmm. it was kind of like underlining itself, but this movie is just like I, I feel like this is honoring like midwestern women yeah. trying to find their group it's not making fun of them and it's not no. like trying to turn this into a joke it's like finding the humor in this world that the writers take seriously and find a lot of joy in if anything it's kind of admirable that two people this authentically old-fashioned still exist right like, exactly we are such yeah. like a caustically ironic like self-aware time right now that Mm -hmm. these two completely oblivious like truly authentic people are like still walking through the world and you keep expecting that like brady bunch comedy where like there's you know they're in the modern world you keep expecting people to be mean to them or like Mm -hmm. mock them but that never comes like they just like everyone thinks they're hot yeah Um. (laughs) yeah there's a sincerity yeah to it Mm -hmm. yeah which is really appealing it's also like cool. I'm glad you mentioned like that piece where it feels like they're not in the right time almost like the like these Brady Bunch movies, but like Vista Del Mar seems like it's not in the current times too, but it is at the same time where I'm like it's like a mix of like blast from the past with like modern times, which is kind of like how Barb and Star are. Like mm-hmm. they are Vista Del Mar. It's a corny like Floridian playground. I was yeah. thinking about that uh, some kind of heaven movie when I was watching that the other day. I was like, this and Barb and Star are, like two of the most like aggressively Florida movies I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Up there with like I guess the Birdcage and like the Beach Bum. Like just yeah. so fucking Florida that it's yeah. like. But this is like specifically like gift shop Florida. Right. Which I love. That's my favorite oh my thing. I'm like, oh God, whenever, um, anytime I like go to Florida, I'm like, I need to airbrush something. <laughs> like Tweety Bird needs to be on this. My name, everything. And mm-hmm. I just felt that. And like the seashells and the, oh God. And it's pretty rare for a comedy. You want to go to Destin. Like a modern comedy to have a visual aesthetic that's so well defined. Yeah. It's so good. Like it reminded me a lot of, Mick G's style. Mm. Um, just pop art. Like yeah. Candy. Like just everything is bright and vibrant and it moves to where it looks like it's animated sometimes, but it isn't. It's awesome. Yeah, that was refreshing because I feel like we were in a period for a while where like a lot of popular comedies, it was like the Seth Rogen. The Judd Apatow. Almost, era. Judd yeah. Apatow like, kind of mumblecore where, okay, we'll have these two actors riffing lines and it's just shot 
you know, over the shoulder and and it's had funny no, the like, first time, and then it gets old. Yeah, fast. no like visual flair. And this, I like how aggressively yeah. weird and silly it is, mm-hmm. and that was the main thing that was so refreshing. Yeah, to me, like it's a comedy. Like its only goal is to make me laugh, and at any yeah. cost. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't want to be grounded in reality. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like a fantasy world. So the director of this movie like i think this was like one of his like first like big movies it seems like he only did like a lot of like tv shows i know he did like beyond the mass that hulu series about um what are those not furries mascots oh okay (laughs) and like their experience like people who are really into like mascots his name is i keep forgetting it too josh greenbaum yeah, I'm just like, wow. Like, I was, like, very surprised. That, I'm like, sure he's perfectly competent or whatever, but I think Annie Momolo and uh, Kristen Wiig are, like, the auteurs of this piece. Like, it seems oh, like for sure. they yeah. are driving what this is. Yeah, uh, I just, yeah, like, I think, like, his style and vision I is I think cool, the visual but, style yeah. does, yeah. for me, like, took it up. Yeah, there's, like, a Lisa level. Frank color palette to Oh, it. my God, that's what, yeah. Yes. yeah. I think yes, just that's the, it. The, I, the visual Lisa ideas Frank and, Midwestern women. and the writing are so attuned. Like, yeah. it just totally works together. Yeah. It felt, like, loving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it felt like a family made it, if that makes sense. It like, was sweet. Yeah, yeah. It was just this beautiful masterpiece, and I loved it. And <sighs> I do have one complaint. Oh, my God, what? <laughs> one complaint. Okay. There are two musical numbers in this movie. Yeah. Not including the Richard Cheese songs about boobies, which are very funny. But <laughs> <laughs> boobies. <laughs> Richard Cheese is actually on screen in this movie, which is a rare treat. But... <laughs> so there are two musical numbers, and they're both fantastic. There's the Welcome to the Hotel song, which you already talked about. And then Jamie Dornan, who plays the hot to trot like boy toy. Climbing up a palm tree. Uh, he sings the song <laughs> Seagulls in the Sands, or whatever it's called. <laughs> and probably one of the funniest moments of the movie. Why is there not a third song at the end of this that ties the whole like plot together in a big musical number? Oh my god. Okay. I'm picking up on what you're saying. Yes. And I think the opportunity, the missed opportunity, was when Miss Reba McIntyre. Why, why didn't she Trish, sing a song? She didn't even yeah. open her damn mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I was expecting her to do like, I'm like, is she gonna sing fancy and at the beach? Oh, or that'd something? be amazing. Oh my god, I would have died. But yeah, like that would have that would have really Oh, that would have sealed it. Otherwise, sealed it's it perfect. Out. It's just like one song short of being like a legitimate musical, yeah. <laughs> which is a little frustrating. That, yeah, that is kind of strange yeah. that you point that out. Yeah. Wow. But who cares? You're having fun when you yeah. watch it. So you not even think about that in the moment. But I remember watching it and like feeling at the end, like that was kind of lopsided on the musical numbers. I wanted one more like big, yeah. one big thing. Show stopping finale. On the banana the boat. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Reba. three is the right number too. That's the, the yeah. balance. Yeah. It's yeah. beginning, middle, end. Yeah. You oh, know? yeah. I also, so there is this one. So every time me and James go to the River Walk Outlet, mall we <laughs> walked by tommy bahama we always talk about tommy bahama and he's like oh i'm gonna end up wearing tommy bahama and so and this movie just felt like it had all of these treasures <laughs> that were like that felt so delicious to me and i think everybody feels that way oh, but yeah. it's like like tommy bahama it just it made sense yeah and it scratches all of these itches that like I don't get scratched in other comedies. It was just like... Uh, yeah, just Andy bountiful. Garcia as Tommy Bahama. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, boy. That, yeah. And the culotte parachute. It, yeah. It, well, the culottes, <laughs> the whole, that whole vibe. So, like, I know we talked about how Florida this movie is, but, like, 
what makes it so Florida too is like the same people that are like super invested in the Tommy Bahama lifestyle mm-hmm. are also huge parrot heads. Right. They fucking love Jimmy yes. Buffett. They're just super high at the beach all the time in their Tommy Bahama with their linen culottes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is like their movie in right. a way. It was such a, <laughs> it's just like such a specific aesthetic and it's just i just love that that's honored yeah that was just like the the little cherry on top where i'm like yes like like j jill pottery barn women yes coming to florida i'm becoming that person like the other day i was like i'm like why am i looking at like a cold water creek catalog oh my god i'm like what is next j jill exactly talbot chico's and they made a Chico's joke, too. And I'm like, oh, my God. I was literally, I went to, like, a thrift store. And I'm like, oh, this is cute. And I'm like, it's all Chico's. Damn it. <laughs> like, like you said, Brandon, though, like, I was thinking about some kind of heaven as well. Because all the men in that documentary are wearing Tommy Bahamas. Yeah. And they're <laughs> listening to Jimmy Buffett cover band. There's and a parrot like, like, Yeah, all some the like, the yeah. in paradise. Yeah. yeah. And then in the beach bum, Jimmy Buffett is in the movie. He's in the movie. Yeah. Wow. I Yeah. I, I love that aesthetic. Well, I also chose a comedy sort of. It's a satire. It's called mm. Lapsus. It is specifically satirizing the modern gig economy. You know, things like TaskRabbit or Uber or Lyft. Uh, what are other like apps? That DoorDash. DoorDash. Yeah. My mom Postmates. Does. So... Simple way to sell lapsus would be to call it like, sorry to bother you, but specifically about the gig economy. Mm -hmm. It's not as laugh out loud funny as sorry to bother you. So that would probably throw you in the wrong direction on its tone. In the movie, there's a very like old fashioned working class guy, a real knuckle dragger, (laughs) uh, whose real name is Dean Imperial. That's his IMDb name. Fantastic performer name. Mr. Imperial. He is kind of a terrible protagonist. And at first you're like, what is this movie doing with this like absolute dud of a character? And I think further you get into it and he starts to immerse himself in the modern world. And I think he's purely there for contrast. He is a sort of like, like I said, old fashioned working class guy. I can't remember what his original job is. It's some kind of like electrician work or like delivery driver. Um, Did he work at an airport? He delivers like luggage. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And he decides to abandon that job for something more lucrative, which is this new app called Cabler, which um, hires you to run internet cables in the woods for this new quantum internet, quote unquote. Uh, He's doing this to earn money to pay for expensive, vague medical procedures for his little brother who is suffering from Omnia. Omnia is a vaguely defined medical disorder where you were exhausted with being alive in the modern world i think i have it i have right? yeah i know like after that we're on- reminds me a lot of it's like lupus sort of is that what lupus does to you what well, do i have a lupus? yeah it's like general fatigue and mm-hmm. there, there's like oh is that even really a thing but it is a thing and yeah. like that's mm-hmm. sort of how that feels too it's but like the movie's a- specifically talking about how all of us are tired and have no motivation right now i, I think mm-hmm. it's a more general metaphor for just yeah. living in the yeah. modern especially world. when they bring it into that facility yeah where like everyone's just like a drone almost right like, yeah 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 but it's it's like turning just the state of being for pretty much everybody into a clinical diagnosis mm. that you can make money off of yeah yeah they're not helping his omnia in any way yeah no. <laughs> uh, they're just like milking money off of this poor older brother character. yeah it's like oh pay 
to get up to this right. tier of treatment. Remind so, me of like Scientology and how they do that. Oh, the like tiered uh, system where you pay more and more money for vague procedures to that like don't get do those thetans yeah. out. Yeah. So he's in the woods on this app. He's a man who has no experience with like modern technology, so he's completely lost. And he has all these millennials around him who show him how to accept gig jobs in the woods to run these cables. And like working in an Amazon warehouse, this thing assigns tasks to him and just makes him hike these like grueling routes to plug up these sort of magnetic cables to these ominous like art installation cubes that are in the woods. Very weird looking piece. And if the movie has any kind of visual aesthetic, it's just that clash of like something so intensely artificial in this woodland setting. Mm -hmm. Like upstate New York. Yeah. And the more you go through the woods, the more wires you see. And it's kind of like how when you start to notice like telephone wires outside, you can't stop looking at them. Mm -hmm. Like all nature is just sort of cut into these grids by these black wires that are everywhere. And this movie I found as it went on and he like unravels the like specific evils of this corporation who are like working all of its workers to death and not taking care of them just felt so true to how fucking fake and cruel and miserable it feels to live and work in 2021. I fucking hate this world we live in right now. (laughs) And a lot of the stuff that resonated with me in the Bo Burnham special, just about how fake and just like unexciting and just like unfulfilling life is right now. Artificial. Just it's nothing. And like people are getting wealthier off of, more and more labor. All of our time is becoming increasingly surveilled and monetized. And it's supposed to be this fun, cute thing where the, the app gamifies his free time. Mm, it's like, you're not satisfied. Yeah. And there's like these little <laughs> drones that work faster than him. Cause they don't have to sleep and eat. And like his rest is doled out in like specified assigned times. It's basically working his body to death. And I, I found a lot of the, observations about you know the artificiality of work right now to be very on point even though i don't think they were necessarily like belly laugh funny it was just like so fucking true and i could go deeper later into i think some larger metaphors about organizing and like labor politics but i want to start there like did anything about this like barely exaggerated gig economy dystopia resonate with y'all like did this movie hit on some level of like current work and current living that you haven't seen in a- another movie before yeah 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 i, <laughs> I think especially like how we we've been talking about like living you know w- working through the pandemic how like there's like oh we like we want you to be safe so here are these masks so you can go out before you're vaccinated and help us because your work's essential and we love you and we're so proud of you for doing that like they they do these things to build you up I'm like you just want me to go out there and work yeah. so like you can right. like sit at home protected and you know yeah, get money I mean, off of me I, I was thinking about my mom a lot during this film because she has a job but then she also does DoorDash mm-hmm. on the side when I talk to her about it it's almost like she's in the middle of a video game right where she's like yeah i'm in the middle of a dash um you know i gotta go drop this off but i'm gonna go back and pick up some food from wherever and uh got a few more dashes to make so i can meet my you know she wants to make a certain amount of money Mm -hmm. each day and and they also give like those bonuses too where it's like if you make 20 deliveries you make enough deliveries yeah Yeah. and she totally she's like i gotta hit my quota And um, something about that is really, I don't know, surreal to me. 
But mm-hmm. another aspect of it that I think this movie does touch on is like it's kind of fun. It you know, video games are fun. It's like Pokemon right. Go, but for wages. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like you have a task. It's like Yeah. And but you're totally alienated from what you're actually doing. Right. Like with DoorDash, it's like I'm picking up food from somewhere. I don't know what the food actually is. Like it's whatever that tells me. And I'm bringing it from point A to point B. And here's my task. Can I get it there in under 15 minutes so I can get a good tip? And it's like, yeah, you're not actually in tune with what you're really doing. It's just like yeah. a right. It's, it's like, like a, a game. Fun, yeah, it's like yeah. a fun little game on an app yeah. that you play and you get money. I used to do Uber Eats for a little while to like make money. And I remember the first few nights I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Like, you know, the thrill of like, what's the next thing going to be? And like mm-hmm. the potential of like, will they tip well? Will they not? And then I just like, it was, it got so crazy to where it's like, it was midnight and I'm like at the Canal Street McDonald's waiting for like, a cheese like you know like a, a big mac uh-huh. meal and then they're not doing it fast enough so the app's like uh-oh like mm. you know your person's waiting for you like is the food yeah. not ready tell us that it's not ready and i'm like okay <laughs> it just felt like i could see how it could drive somebody to really put themselves at risk like speeding and like i have to make this or like they're gonna tip me in a shitty way right if right. i'm not there in time yeah oh and I feel like, you know, that's kind of the equivalent of the, you know, the little robots that are going to beat you and people are like, okay, well, I'm going to trip this fucking robot. I'm going <laughs> to like a with war the on the robots and the drones. Like, right. Curious if there's like some kind of algorithm that's like, hey, if you're like slow that we're going to give you the shittier run options. And like, I don't know. I don't know if it does that, but I would think I that might happen. Yeah. 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 I mean, as far as the, the alienation of labor, like. That to me was a big takeaway in the the gig economy mm-hmm. and also the service economy. Yeah, you know, you think about back in the day if you used to work on like an assembly line, which you're still alienated from the labor to a degree, but like you're physically putting like a window pane on a car, mm-hmm. or like you have this one task and you do it. Like at least you know what you are contributing, right? Too, but in this, in the world of lapses and in the modern gig economy you don't really know you know you're kind of helping this vague tech company Mm -hmm. uh, create profits by getting things from point a to point b but you don't really have any vested interest in it and that is um i don't know dehumanizing yeah right it's like my job is to bring this cable from this block to this block i have no idea what this cable what is, going is quantum to do. computing i don't right. know like and that really reminded me of like an amazon warehouse like yeah. y- you have 15 seconds to get this object and put that in here and yeah you have no idea who it, who it's going to go to you don't know why this person is ordering it like yeah, you're just totally separated from the context of the work you're doing. And you're also separated from your workers. And I mean, that was a big point in this film, too. Like the routes don't tend to align for a very long time. They don't want you organized. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's the same with the Amazon with Amazon warehouses. Yeah. So like you they keep you focused on this very simple menial task they have these obstacles that force you to be more and more productive and keep you focused on like the most important thing for me is to get 
to the next block as fast as possible, not like, hey, how do I find a way to make my circumstances better? Like it, it kind of like tricks you into thinking that that's not even possible. Like this, these are the rules of the world you're working in and nothing goes beyond that. And that is like an extreme illustration of like Marxist politics too. Yeah. Like, it is right. so like basic, like alienating the workers from like what they are producing and thus like the profits being made off of that. Like they're making, you know, a hundred dollars to $2,000 per run. They don't know how much that translates to the company profiting off of their labor, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there's all these like satellite, tinier businesses orbiting around that mm-hmm. major business that's like mm-hmm. leaking their wages out of them as they're working. So like you're actually making less in real time. And that's the stuff that like the more I thought about this movie, the more I was impressed with it. Like there are just so many tiny details that stand out about like just independent contractor work and like how everything is set up right now. And the more I think about each piece, the more intentional and like well thought out it feels. And you know, at first I'm watching this like protagonist who I have no connection with whatsoever. And he feels like he's from a different time. It's like, why is this your POV character? And then the more that it's contrasted with this new world, Mm -hmm. the more absurd, the new modes of labor feel. And I like, I I actually did identify with this guy being like, what is this bullshit? I don't even know what I'm doing (laughs) for money anymore. Yeah. And it feels so entrepreneurial. And that's how these other apps feel too. Like I, I remember I was, I signed up for like a dog walking app. Oh yeah. I was going to be a wagger. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was like, Oh, but there are like five top waggers in any area. And it's like hard for people to get walks, which is so like, it's just Uh, so weird. And it, and what it does too is like people like, I don't know. My aunt has been like, she passes for a living has been doing it since like the nineties. And that's like the only reason she still has work. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, Oh, that'd be really cool for me to do as like a side gig. And then people are like, yeah, like we're going to use wag instead. Cause it's like cheaper. Plus they're like, I guess they're like insured to an extent or something happens to their house. Like they feel more protected than just like having some like neighbor take care of their dog. And I'm like, Oh, like, it's just, like, weird seeing all these, like, apps that are taking over the gig work world. Yeah. They say they're disrupting traditional modes of, like, commerce, but really they're just destroying them. Right. They're making, like, real work harder to get. And, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, regular, like, jobs, like, companies that are legally required to take care of you with, like, health insurance and, like, mm-hmm. retirement and stuff like that. Right. All these companies are now free to just, like, well, you're an entrepreneur, you're an independent contractor. Right. This is all right. on your back. Yeah. And that's, it's, like... It makes you believe, like, you can work as much as you want to. You can make as much money as you want to. You're the entrepreneur, which is, like, the American God. dream. But really, you're like an you know, you're working to the ends of this kind of, like, monopolistic company. Like, you're not an entrepreneur. They're just using your labor and not giving you any benefits. And there is a brilliant... Like, Herbalife. Uh, insertion <laughs> oh, of a uh, younger character that sort of teaches him the ropes and, like, yeah. radicalizes him. Yeah. And she does pull off only working seasonally with this app mm-hmm. but we find out later that she has a lot of inherited wealth yeah and like this is like kind of a pastime for her and she to her credit uses her privilege to tear this company down by labor organizing mm-hmm. and i love that's like one of my favorite things about this movie is like it is pointing out everything that is fucking corrupt and like evil and empty about living and working right now but it also offers this like sign of hope that like people can organize and like take these companies down 
in uniting this young, very online privileged leftist millennial with this like sort of like older working class Gen Xer who like Mm -hmm. doesn't have many years left where his body will be able to do this kind of work. Yeah. And the two of them, they're, they're very standoffish for obvious reasons, but by the end of the movie, they're like working in tandem and there's this kind of like hopeful, you know, there is a way out uh, to this messaging to it. I like that too. And it kind of, a a lot of times, like when I like do Uber or get DoorDash or something, it's like, someone who's older that really doesn't know how to work the app and stuff. And they'll have like their son in the car with them or something. It's like, no mom, like click this heartbreaking, you know what I mean? (laughs) And it really reminded me of like that relationship that the main character has with that younger girl Mm -hmm. and how like, you know, everything's stupid. It's like, well, follow me. Like, why the fuck you want to follow me? It's stupid. I don't know if I saw it as that hopeful though. Cause I've, I've been thinking about that last scene, the very last scene in this movie. And like, what does it, mean i still don't know if i fully have wrapped my head around it where you know this house that has like charging stations and earlier in the film they deny the humans like you can't even charge your phones in here we don't allow charging Mm -hmm. and then the very last scene of the film they allow the robot to come in and charge and i'm like i'm still thinking like maybe brandon sent you thought about this a lot like what do you think that final scene was actually trying to say because i think it was like an important thing you end your film right on this statement so what is it's not over it's not like a full victory but i do think there's like a celebration in the people coming together and organizing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. despite the app physically separating them as they're working i don't have an answer as to like what that final tag with the uh robot going to get charged with but that felt important. It did, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't have an answer as to what it ultimately was trying to say. And like that's intriguing to me. I just wish I knew. Yeah. Or I, I wish I had an interpretation of what that meant. I did read the director talking, like his thoughts about that scene. And basically that, you know, this is like a middle class or upper middle class group of people that um you know they make money off of the uh cablers coming and staying it's basically they're like an airbnb for these people but they're also um charging up the robots so they're getting income from both sides Mm. of this industry and it was it's like this kind of passive upper middle class group of people that that benefit from this gig economy and don't have to contribute to it yeah um that it's like in order for anything to actually change they would also have to be involved and invested yeah they're like trying to remain neutral in like a war where you cannot do that right right it's like playing both sides yeah i mean you can see an article like oh amazon workers are trying to unionize that's great and then you like order i don't know like a garden hose off of amazon that's the kind of stuff that, like, I think is brilliant about this movie. I think another one is, you know, he gets into this gig through, you know, sort of nefarious means. Yeah. And he has this medallion. This medallion that, like, his avatar is pre existing and has all this preloaded money on it. And he just has, like, free money to spend and gets better jobs because of it. Mm-hmm. And, like, that becomes this sort of, like, very intricate metaphor about inherited wealth. Yeah. And, like, how he's starting off, like, mid-ladder instead of at the bottom. And he Mm -hmm. keeps saying things like, oh, I'm, you know, just like everybody else. I'm just out here taking jobs. Like, the harder you work, the more money you'll make. That's how it works. And And it's it's like, like, well, you already have a leg up. You had a huge leg up, yeah. But his people, 
got that from like a corporate, that's like a corporate account. Yeah. So it's almost saying like it's rigged. Like the corporate accounts get the best routes mm. and they have to work your ass off to even get to that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's just pointing out the whole thing is rigged from yeah. the get go. And it's like multi-level marketing schemes too. Like right. if you're one of the first people to get into it, then you can make a shitload of money because you know, the market isn't saturated, but the further you go down, you know, the less likely you are to succeed and the more your failure kind of fuels other people's wealth. What was like his name? Wasn't like a, oh, the name was so gross. Oh, it was the Lapsus Beef 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 Tech. Beef Tech, yeah, that was it. Yeah, even everyone's persona in the like, the Lapsus realm is all fake as fuck. (laughs) Everyone has these online avatars with these fake handles and all their connections are these like artificial like follow me on this social media thing. It reminded me a lot of um, what are those like money apps that people use like Venmo and Cash uh, app. yeah yeah and those have like a social media component which I always yeah, find very totally. bizarre. You could be like ooh someone paid someone for this I'm gonna yeah. like it. Like why is he paying his boyfriend for pizza? That's right. fucking weird. Yeah, like that kind of right. thing. But then I get pulled into it. I'm like oh, why is she buying that? <laughs> I'm like ooh and I wait. I'm like oh my god if only we could see how much they're spending and I'm like oh my god I'm so nosy. Like so I, I hate it. Corporations are also abstracting like our social connections right. even and oh. I don't know and it's. Like Cash App too is like they have these boosts that you can add to your Cash App card if you get a card on it, which is like, oh, if you buy Taco Bell, you get 5% off your Taco Bell. Oh my God. So I got the Cash App card because like my neighbor, um, she pays me for like half my internet because we split our internet bill and she pays through Cash App. So I'm like, let me just get this card to have this money on. And um, I accidentally added a boost for like Bitcoin investing. Oh my shit. (laughs) Ugh. and i'm like i'm i'm not one of these people and it was like um you get five percent of bitcoin if like you use your cash app card but this, it's just like bizarre oh how it like pulls all this stuff and yeah. i'm like what is what are y'all doing like what's right. the end game yeah. here yeah it's so weird but to it's have very, it's very lapsus yeah right it's so weird to have social media integrated with like the exchange of money i mean yeah. i feel like that's what it is on an abstract level but for mm-hmm. it to be directly related is like so so strange so yeah i I don't know that this is like the funniest comedy of the Mm -hmm. year i mean obviously that's barb and stargo right but um (laughs) and i don't think it was trying to have like a joke a minute like absurdist like belly laugh response from you either i just felt that it really tapped into how absurd it feels to live right now and how empty and like just exhausting like yeah I, i really do feel like this movie like observe something very true about life right now that I haven't seen on the screen except maybe in Sorry to Bother You. And I feel like this is even more specific to yeah. now yeah. than that movie was. Yeah. And I will say, James, I think you kind of mentioned this earlier, but like part of me was horrified by Cabler and its similarity to like Uber and Amazon. And then part of me was like, if this were a job, I would 100% do this. Like, <laughs> oh, because totally. at least I would Hike. be in nature. Like, it's beautiful. Like, New York is beautiful. <laughs> they, you know, and they don't have many, like, rainy or bad. But it's like, that's so sad that part of me really wishes I could just, like, drag cable they through make the it wilderness. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. With the magnetic effect, too. Yeah. And I think the movie has, considering what must have been a minuscule budget, I think it has, mm-hmm. like, a visual style to it that yeah, you know, I'm definitely. always impressed by that when someone can turn like a nothing indie budget into like 
its own visual language. Mm-hmm. I, I think this movie achieves that as well. So I don't know. I, I found this to be one of the more significant films I've seen this year, just in its specificity. It's very thought provoking too, and especially I don't know. Like one of the views that I got from this movie, kind of bouncing off of what you were saying, Hannah, is that a lot of people get judged for doing Uber or Airbnb or uh, working for Amazon where it's mm-hmm. like, how could you work for these shitty companies? And it's like, well, what else is there What's really? The alternative? Like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people almost get like shamed for like taking jobs in these industries. Right. And no, it's, it's not like, the worker's fault. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, like, I mean, especially in New Orleans, like these Amazon facilities are kind of pumping up and I'm like, well, this is like giving it, people are getting job opportunities. They're going to be treated like shit. But it's kind of like, I mean, what else is there to do? So you can't really judge somebody for taking the jobs. And I kind of felt that with Lapsus. Like, these people who are doing the wiring, like, they're not, like, the villains. Like, they're just, like, trying to fucking make money. Yeah. And, you know, I forgot what his real name is. But especially Lapsus, you know, he's, like, trying to find money to fund his brother's... fast money. Yeah. And, like... And the wellness industry is also like super corrupt and totally mm-hmm. preys on people's fear about, you know, death and illness and dying. So yeah. he like he doesn't have insurance. So what else is he going to do? Like he's forced into this potentially lucrative situation. And right. there are even like other versions of this subcontracted labor that aren't, you know, app based. There's like, you know, we watch wrestling. Those wrestlers mm-hmm. are yeah. independent contractors, independent contractors yeah. and they're not taken care of they don't have health care a lot of us work in office settings all of those places do not hire their own cleaning staffs they subcontract their labor out to companies that pay minimum wage and like don't mm-hmm. pay health insurance and shit it, there's so many ways that companies get out of paying taxes and paying their employees uh and it's fucking infuriating yeah <laughs> oh, totally i think this movie taps into that anger yeah. while, while not like tipping into just constant misery like there's an, an amusement about it mm-hmm. and just this sort of like light absurdism i really resonate with a lot of like the politics of this film yeah yeah and we have one more <laughs> <laughs> oh boy after all that and it's a, and it's a doozy yeah <laughs> it's a doozy what was your pick james so my pick is an a24 horror film which I think because of COVID, it got delayed a year or two, and I finally was able to watch it earlier this year called uh, St. Maud. Well, first of all, it's a directorial debut of Rose Glass, who I was pretty blown away by this movie, so I'm very interested to see what she does in the future. But um, it stars Morphid Clark. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. As the titular character, who is this nurse who is now doing private practice because she had a really bad incident with a patient with it. They don't really go into specific detail. You just know something bad happened. And now she is taking care of this dying ex dancer. She's dying of cancer, but Maud starts to hear like the voice of God. And she is taking care of this ex dancer who basically is at the end of her life and just wants to have fun. She has this like love affair with a woman she met online and she likes to get drunk and just have sex. And she's trying to enjoy her time. And Maud takes it upon herself to essentially save this woman's soul. But the movie kind of shifts gears about halfway through. You think it's going to be kind of a love triangle 
with Maud and this woman's lover. And Maud essentially gets excommunicated and she's on her own. And the story shifts to really just focusing on her character and her own loneliness. Mm-hmm. And again, she's like kind of this new religious convert to Catholicism. And she starts talking to God. She has these orgasmic experiences Mm -hmm. with God and is sort of going off the deep end into religious fanaticism. And so the film is her kind of psychological journey into this like religious zealot, like abyss. I was blown away by this movie. It's definitely in that A24 horror realm. I think it's, it stands out from, you know, the obvious Midsummer, The Witch, mm-hmm. even Hereditary. Like it has things in common with those films, but it's uniquely its own picture. And this is probably the best movie that I've seen this year. And it has definitely the best final 10 mm. to 15 minutes of any film mm-hmm. I've seen this year. And I was pretty blown away. So I don't know. I just kind of want to open up the discussion. That's a general overview yeah. of this film. But what what did you guys I love think? this movie. Like what I found myself like really surprised, like I normally don't like slow paced movies. And it it is like a slow paced slow movie, burn, but it's sure. so cool. Like it's like you're going on this journey with her and you're trying to figure out like what the fuck is happening. Right. Or at least yeah. I was. I was like, mm-hmm. You know, is she possessed by a demon who's, like, pretending to, like, speak to her as God or something? Like, what's happening? But, like, eventually you just kind of realize, like, obviously she had a very traumatic experience with, like, her patient who, like, died while Mm -hmm. in her care. Found religion to, like, overcompensate for that. And you just, it's just kind of, like, her conscience is kind of just eating her up. Internally destroying her. And I loved the relationship that she had with the woman she was taking care of and just to watch it just turn so sour so fast like she was like oh you're my savior and she gets her this book and like you know inscribes in it and oh it's kind of sweet like you can tell she's like god this girl's fucking crazy trying to save my soul but she's sweet and she thinks she's doing something good so i'll just fucking let her do it Mm -hmm. and that seemed like that relationship and then like it just really turns for the worse whenever Maud really inserts herself in this woman's life yeah. and contacts her like lover she found in there and I was like yeah stop fucking seeing her well and her it's perf- kind of a sex worker relationship right yeah it's, not yeah. Just a, kind of. it's like a sugar baby and then she right. slaps yeah. her in the face but yeah. the, her performance is so good it's you can't tell if she is mocking her or if she earnestly yeah. sort of likes that she is so I have a right. clear read on that. She is bored and lonely because she's in hospice. Right. And um, she is turned on by Maud. And Maud is definitely turned on by her. There's like a sexual tension there. Mm-hmm. She does not believe in the religious stuff, but she is bored enough to find it amusing. Yeah. And toys with her and Ooh, lightly savior. mocks her about it. Yeah. And then because she's a theatrical person, she used to be a dancer and she's this artist. When she has an audience... That's not just the she two of them. Belittles she camps her. it up. Yeah. yeah. And oh, embarrasses yeah. Maude. And that, that's yeah. sort of what causes like her like right. mental deterioration. And the character of Maude is so... The way that she shifts between... Has this like kind of smile on her face. She's like ecstatic. 
you know, she feels the God is like moving mm-hmm. through her and then it turns like dark and she's like awkward. Like this is yeah. such an interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. She's just so pained through the whole film. Like she, it's just, it's like she's just kind of like cracking in her own body, trying to find purpose and like desperately holding on to religion mm-hmm. as like a way out of loneliness and trauma and pain. I think that's the thing too is like to me it wasn't really just about religion. It was more just about being alone. Yeah. Not yeah. even being like lonely, but being totally alone. Yeah. Like you can't connect to anyone. Right. It's like the kind of loneliness that isolates you from other people because she has like people that reach out to her and like that that friend mm-hmm. that she had as a nurse and she says, yeah, you know, we should get together some. And she seems like she's earnestly reaching out to Maude, but Maude is so lonely that she can't just have a casual relationship with somebody. It's either like extremely intense or kind of like forged out of desperation. Mm. That's why it felt less like a horror movie and more, it reminded me a lot of First Reformed, a movie, mm-hmm. a Paul Schrader film Love from a few years ago um, <laughs> that I really, really liked. But it's kind of getting at the same thing. It's like not even really about the religious aspect. At the heart of it, it's like a character that is like completely alone and isolated and they fall on religion, but... I agree that like this is a deeply weird character study, like first and foremost. But I think her religious practices are part of what makes her so weird. Because it's not like she's a devout Catholic, which would you would think from the mm. iconography. No. She's really just making shit up. Like she's a new convert with no religious community guiding her like spiritual development. Right. Mm-hmm. She just makes up this like strange new religion that involves like spirals and beetles and these like popcorn kneeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she like has these kind of BDSM <laughs> rituals, or she like punishes yeah, herself and becomes orgasmic. That, that is like tied into Catholicism. Like True. that's a very Catholic. And I thing. totally I mean, we resonate went to, with we that. We went to yeah. Catholic school. <laughs> we know it's all about like confession. Like you're a mm-hmm. piece of shit. Like tell the priest why you're a piece of shit. She has this guilt, horniness, guilt, like yeah, routine, totally. like just cycle that like feels so true to like how I was taught Same to here. view God yeah. and sexuality. Yeah. yeah. But I, I get what y'all are saying. Like at first, like I was like, oh, this is going to be about how like religion's going to just eat away at this girl. But kind of is, but it's more so about like, she's trying to figure out what's the solution to escape this loneliness. Like, is it religion? Yeah. She doesn't even, it's obviously not that because she's fucking it up. Or is it like going to this like bar right. and like yeah. fucking this weirdo? Or is it like finding a group in the bar and like laughing at this joke you can't really oh, hear? Oh, that was so oh, cringy when she was like trying to connect yeah. with these people and they were like, who the hell is but this But is it just like just not knowing like what the solution is right. and you can kind of see her like trying all this shit out mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I don't even know oh what my to God. tell you, girl. That was like, so painful. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. I just felt like just threads of that and like my when I transferred to Tulane, like and I didn't know anybody and just like flailing at every option, like trying to figure out, like, how do I get people 
to talk to me and how do I hang it? Still don't it know. Like- it's, well, it's and it's hard. And I think all of us have experienced that in some degree where you're mm-hmm. like, everyone's like, we have a world full of people. Like, go out and meet people. Right. And I'm like, it's not like you can really go and right. be like, hi, how are you today? Like, that's yeah. not a thing. What's your favorite John Waters movie? Yeah, tell me about the music. <laughs> right, right. It's, right. And I think it's like, that's what Maud's doing because like, that's kind of like what everyone's like, oh yeah, just go to a bar and right. talk to somebody. Yeah. And then it's okay. like, one thing is like finding people in the bar that, We'll talk to you. And, you know, she's unable to do that except in, like, a purely, yeah. like, sexual situation. And then, like, once somebody wants to talk to me, like, what the fuck do I do? Like, how do I actually build a relationship mm-hmm. with this person? And, like, her strongest relationship is with the woman that she's caring for. And that's a relationship that's built on this woman's boredom. She's like, oh, this girl is, just like. need for someone to help her. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. It's not natural, like a natural. Yeah. That relationship was my main sticking point with this movie. And I had kind of a Bo Burnham reaction to this thing where I was like, the first time I watched it, I enjoyed it, but I was kind of frustrated mm-hmm. because it wasn't what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot more out of revisiting it, knowing what it was going in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what I wanted was this sort of like two-hander between her and her patient where they sort of like verbally and sexually spar with each other. Yeah. This like psychological back and forth. Which this movie only is for maybe 15 minutes. Right. Yeah. And the rest of it is so immersed in Maud. And I kept wanting her to go back and like have more exchanges with this. Yeah. <laughs> go back to the house. There's a lot of dramatic tension between them and a lot yeah. of sexual tension. And it's like yeah. where yeah. the movie feels most alive, if that's what you're looking for. And, and once you realize like, oh, it's a character study about this one very right. specific person, then it opens up as this whole other weird yeah. object. But And then I will say that the last... Like, like you, Brittany, I was I was trying to figure out what it is, what it was. Like, is this a demon possession film? No. Okay, this is just about Maud and her loneliness, and I don't think, like, w- she actually does the voice of God. Um, so she's literally talking to herself, and then the last fifteen minutes comes, and I still think that that is like her own um, psyche. But her final showdown between her and the one—I mean, that was just like spine chilling so like i like a good jump scare Mm -hmm. but i think it's most effective when like in this movie there's one jump scare Mm -hmm. so you're not expecting you know there's certain films where it's Mm -hmm. like oh it's a jump scare there's a routine to it you expect the rhythm of it but in this one it's like like britney said it's like the slow burn Mm -hmm. like oh i'm really getting to know this character and i think i understand this world and then that happens where mm-hmm. you know the woman's demon right. comes out and well, like that was easy. Yeah, that's a legitimate fucking jump scare. Yeah, you're, and like that carries over into the final, you know, scene where she lights herself on fire. Is spoiler, mm-hmm. but <laughs> also a very tasteful use of CGI, which you don't see very often. Yeah, remind me a lot of Ex Machina, where like they do just enough to like achieve what mm-hmm. they need, and yeah. it's not like the main focus, right? Of it. Yeah, I mean, it was smart in that it had a low budget and it used the money just perfectly because the film looks really cool. Like, it's got a lot of greens and just Mm -hmm. the the cinematography is great. And when it does use special effects, it uses them very effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in those final 15 minutes. Kind of um, feels like you're in like a cleaner sewer in a way. Like, yeah, it's like yeah. Got this dinginess to it that isn't filthy is just kind of like it's a little crusty. Yeah. 
It's also worth noting the movie's under 90 minutes. We keep calling it like a slow burn. Uh, yeah. It is, and I agree with that, but it's yeah. also like pretty efficient. Right. It's a slow burn yeah. in a small form. It doesn't waste your time. Yeah. 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 I really liked this a lot, especially the second time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that's good. If we're going to talk about these four movies as being like the standouts of the year, like these are four movies where I have had a resonating, like lingering reaction to each of them where it yeah. kind of changed on second viewing. Well, I mean, if you think I was thinking about this earlier, like each one of these films does feel like of its time and that, you know, tell about St. Maud, you know, it's about isolation and how you can fall into out there, your own weird little run. Right. Your own like little obsessive weird little, ideology. Yeah. Obsessive ideology. Mm-hmm. And then obviously inside is we've already talked about yeah. that, but I was talking about even Barb and star, like there's something about escapism yeah. that we need too. like, just because shit is messed up. It's not like during like the great depression, they were just watching films about, the Great Depression, you needed like musicals and you Those needed- Those big Busby Berkeley numbers with right. like the giant sets and all the kicking And legs. that's kind of what mm-hmm. Barb and Star was for me. It was yeah. like, you know what? I don't, I like movies that are focused on where we are right now, but I also want to just like laugh and have a good time and yeah. escapism. And Barb and Star was so much of that. Yeah. We're just like, I, I'm in this world, forget about all the crazy- stuff that's going on right now yeah i want to be in shrimp heaven <laughs> yeah for an hour and a half i feel like we split it half and half i feel like saint maude and barb and star feel out of time like they're timeless mm-hmm. um and you know lapsus and inside are very now yeah uh, mm-hmm. sort of inescapably and explicitly mm-hmm. you can watch all of them right now we recommend them yeah yes it's a good bunch Please. i think so that's a good bunch of movies yeah. barb and star is the only one that costs money to rent but it is worth your money oh my god it is so just talking about it again i'm gonna buy want... it yeah yeah right i just like i need to see that movie again again right i know i'm like it's it's worth i think it's like was like a six dollar rental but it's probably just worth like buying it because you're gonna want to watch it multiple times yeah so make a smart investment right Lapsus is probably the most obscure platform. It's on Canopy, which if you have a library subscription, should be free, depending on what your library pays mm-hmm. for. Participate, yeah. Yeah. Um, St. Maud is on Hulu now, which is great. Oh, mm-hmm. cool. And Bo Burnham Inside is on Netflix. Yeah. This was a fruitful exercise for me. I am now confident that we have seen movies that came out this year. <laughs> <laughs> this is not something we've done it. before, but uh, I felt like it had to be done this yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a good a good choice. Yeah. Things have been so disorienting. You yeah. need to like, what year is this and what movies happened? I know. I'm starting to seek um, new movies out yeah. and prep for ones that are coming up. Mm-hmm. And next time we talk, we'll probably go back to 2020 to circle back, <laughs> back to movies that we missed last year. Right? Yeah. Dip our toes. But there was a never ton done. of good movies that came out in 2020. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to uh, talk about them again and explore some that I haven't yeah. seen. And next episode of this show, we will actually be returning to one of our collective favorite movies of last year, which is Baccarat, which is currently on Criterion Channel. Mm. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Boomer oh. and Allie and I are going to talk about it nice. next week. Yeah. Such a good movie. And it's a good one. And Swamp Flicks is top 10, so you know it's good. It's certified. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a swampy fave. Ooh, do we have like a swamp stamp for movies? We that should. Are... That would be great. We have a canon, actually. I have a list of films that like we've rated five oh, stars. Oh, really? Or given a movie of the month treatment. That's oh, like okay. the list. 
Nice. Uh, I'll link the Swamp Flicks canon in the uh, show notes. Ooh, yeah. And um, actually, if you have any recommendations, if you're one of the 12 people listening to this, uh, <laughs> especially if you're Matt Farley, uh, if you have any like uh, best of the year so far recommendations, email us, um, especially if we haven't talked about it yet. I would love to read recommendations for movies on the show from other people. Yeah. Because that's kind of what this has evolved into. Yeah. And if you stuck with this th- this far, you've earned your right to have your uh, <laughs> recommendation read out loud. Yes. Bye, everybody. Bye. I grew up as your usual suburbanite. A tiny town in Massachusetts, overwhelmingly white. I went to church on Sundays in a suit and a tie. And spent my free time watching Family Guy. I started doing comedy when I was just a sheltered kid I wrote offensive shit and I said it Father, please forgive me for I did not realize what I did Or that I'd live to regret it Times are changing and I'm getting old Are you gonna hold me accountable? My bed is empty and I'm getting cold Isn't anybody gonna hold me accountable? Uh, I'm problematic